hello, and welcome to episode 148 of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today we are recording on September 18th, 2019. My name is Corey Motley. I am a podcast producer and a co-host of the So Video Games podcast. I'm also an occasional writer at GameCritics.com. Last but not least, I am 50% of this show. Joining me, as always, is Brad Galloway. He is my co-host, the editor-in-chief of Game Critics, and last but not least, my partner in crime for every episode of the So Video Games podcast. How are you, Brad? I am doing good, and I am excited to be doing the show with you specifically today because uh, it's a really good game that I want to talk about some more. (laughs) Yes, so uh, listeners, beware. We have a very special episode on our hands. Um, If you recall a while back, Brad and I did an entire episode about the Hitman franchise where we spent like a four-hour extravaganza. Four fucking hours, dude. That was ridiculous. Talking about every game in the Hitman franchise from The Roots to Hitman 2 that had just come out. I was reviewing it at the time. Brad had a copy and was playing it, and we we deep-dived the hell out of Hitman. We're doing a similar thing for this episode. However... We are not talking about a franchise of games because there is no franchise to draw from for this. We are going to be talking about Control again, which is Remedy's new game uh, published by 505 Games. I talked about it two episodes ago, and we didn't quite deep dive on it because I had either almost finished it or had just finished it at the time, and Brad, I think, had barely gotten started in it. Last week, Brad gave a tiny update on how far he was in it, and this time around, Brad has finished it. We've both finished the game. We've both played the game beyond the ending and played uh, side missions and extra stuff. So I would consider this a giant spoiler warning because I think Control is literally the only game we're going to talk about this week. Is that right, Brad? That is correct, sir. Yes, so this is a very special episode. I'm sorry for everybody listening if you don't care about Control or you've already heard us talk about it enough or you're not interested in it. I am very sorry, but this is the game that Brad and I have been putting a ton of time in lately. Um, If you don't want to listen to our Control chat and you want to still listen to banter, uh, we do have a very thorough banter section, which is at the end of the show after the ending music, as it always is. Also, you can check the show notes to see what time banter starts if you want to just... Fast forward right to it, you certainly may, Um, or if you want to skip all of this completely, if you don't care about control and you don't care about banter, then first of all, why are you listening to the show at all? And second of all, you can, I don't know, just not listen to it. But we're doing a deep dive on control, full spoilers, we're going to be talking about the story, the missions, the characters, the weapons, the powers, we're going to be talking about everything. Um, So if you haven't played control and you want to skip, please bail now. Because this is all we're talking about, and we're going to deep dive all the way down. Uh, Brad, have I given a sufficient enough spoiler warning? I feel like that is a very good and thorough spoiler warning. We're going to be talking about everything, so this is probably the final time we will warn it. But yeah, that's A to Z, front to back, soup to nuts. Everything Mm -hmm. about Control is going to get spoiled right here, right now. Excellent. Well, the last time we talked about it, which was two episodes ago, I sort of led the discussion on it because... I had been playing it the most, and I had review duties at Game Critics for it. And you had either just started or had or had gotten a little bit into it or hadn't started yet. I can't remember. But 
because I started last time and sort of like gave the overview of the game and talked about it a lot and everybody's heard my piece a little bit already. Uh, Brad, do you want to get everybody up to speed on Control and talk about a little bit of your experience with it first? Yeah, yeah. So just a really quick recap. Yeah, you had finished the game by the time we talked about it. I had only gotten about maybe like an hour or maybe like 90 minutes into it. So I had gotten enough to get a taste of it, but I was, you know didn't really know anything about what was coming up and hadn't really gotten that far. So at this point, uh, so at this point, so uh, I've finished the game and I have done 100% of the side quests. I've done everything in the game. Um, the only thing I haven't done in the game is locate all of the secret areas, which I didn't even know existed until after I had done all of the side quests and I was searching FAQs and wikis online for more stuff to do. And then I'm like, oh, I didn't even know these were even in the game. So that's the only thing I haven't done. And I haven't done them because, honestly, all you're doing is going to a very hard-to-reach place and just being there for a second <laughs> and then leaving. It's not, like, the most exciting content. So I haven't done those. But I've done everything else in the game. Corey, what, like, how, what is your completion ratio for this game? Um, I have completed all of the main missions for the entire game and all of the sort of like story-related side missions. The only thing I haven't done is... Well, I haven't done the secret rooms either. I think I've done like two of them. Um, I have not done... They have the timed missions where sometimes you turn on the game. I don't know how the game decides to give you these or not. Every once in a while, a mission will just pop up and you have a time limit to do it. And if you fail, then you don't get to try it again. And you just have to wait until the next timed mission pops up. And usually it's just about you going to like a room and doing like a combat scenario and that's basically it i've done like three or four of those but i haven't done i'm guessing there's a finite end to them because i haven't i i at least have not gotten the trophy for it yet do you know if there's a finite end to those i don't think there is a finite end but you do get a trophy if i think you successfully do like three of them i've only successfully done two because i figured these were just like filler missions just to give you something else to do and i wanted to finish the game and I was really interested in more of the story content and, and some of the more structured missions that actually got you like legit rewards. So I didn't end up doing a lot of those. I think I did too. And I just kind of ignored them, ignored the rest of them, but I think they just randomly generate. I don't, I don't think there's an end to them. Okay. Okay. I wasn't sure about that, but yeah, I've only done a few of those. And I also, I don't know if these have a finite end either, but there's a side mission called like something countermeasures. And it's basically just like, go to this wing and kill this thing with this gun and you like you get like a uh, gun power-ups and rewards for doing them I i've done a few of those i don't know if there's a finite ending to those either but if there is i have not completed all of them do you know about those i don't know if there's a finite end but yeah they're just like little extra challenges like go to this part of the building and kill this particular guy using this kind of gun um, most of the rewards for those were not useful to me because by the time I started paying attention to them, I was already like using like the max level stuff. And so like the stuff that I were offering was like really low level. So I didn't bother doing those. And plus I'm not much of a really like super arbitrary, like, oh, use the shotgun on level two of the research wing. Like, I mean, so if I'm there, great, but I'm not going to like go out of my way to just like wander around and look for a particular enemy just so I can use the shotgun. I mean, that was kind of boring. I mean, it's it's a cool thing if you're going to go there anyway, but I didn't bother doing many of those, and most of the rewards were pretty junky anyway. So I, I skipped those, and I didn't really count those as being, like, legit content, I guess. Okay, good. I feel kind of the same way, because at first I was, like, interested in doing them, and I have done a few, but they just kind of get... 
silly after a while. And something that really bothers me about the game, and this is maybe something we can deep dive on a little bit later, is that um, there's like a handful of different enemy types in the game. And some of those missions, it'll be like, go to the executive wing and kill X kind of enemy with this gun. And the game, to my knowledge, never like broke down whatever what every enemy type was. So I don't even know like what it'll be like kill a ranger with the pistol. And I'm like, what the fuck is a ranger? Like the game never was like, oh, this is a ranger enemy type, unless I just totally missed it. So like I don't even have the patience to go like look up what the enemy types are on some like wiki somewhere and then go find them. So yeah, I kind of gave up on those mission types pretty quickly. I, I would agree. I feel like, um, so in the game, I mean, I think the justification for the enemies is pretty good because, uh, you know, in the story, the enemies that you're fighting are humans who were already in the building and they've just become possessed. So it's very rare that you come across an enemy that is non-human. There are some that are non-human, but most of them are possessed humans, which I think is a great, great narrative explanation for why the enemies are there. And I think that's totally makes sense but you're right like the enemy types are not uh that varied and they're not really that distinct i mean i think you can go into your notebook or whatever like the list of documents and i think each one if you look them up inside the the internal wiki of the game it'll tell you which one is which but i didn't bother to read those i didn't care enough and i i didn't think the rewards were interesting enough or the challenges weren't interesting enough i was just like fuck it whatever if a guy is in front of me i'm gonna shoot him i don't care which guy it is <laughs> i'm gonna use what gun i feel like using and that's how we're gonna roll so i didn't care and i don't feel like i missed out on anything it was just like these really really low level rewards that after the first hour or two you're not going to find useful anyway so i didn't bother doing it but okay good. anyway all right cool, cool cool okay so let's um Okay, so just, uh, I'm, I'm assuming people who are listening to this probably already know what Control is, but just for the sake of completion, uh, put out by Remedy Games, it's a third-person action, I mean, kind of like a Metroidvania, not really, sort of, it's like an open-world game, kind of not really, sort of, you're inside a giant <laughs> building, which does not really follow the rules of physics, and so the, the rooms in the building can shift and change, uh, you're going back and forth anywhere within this building, There's it's a pretty big building, lots of wings and hallways and rooms and some of the rooms 100% are like fantastical like they move and change and all sorts of weird stuff happens uh, but you're going back and forth uh, trying to solve the mystery of what's going on you play Jesse Faden who is a woman who had a paranormal experience when she was a child her brother got abducted and she spent her entire life trying to find out what happened to her brother and trying to find the the bureau of control which is where you are now because she believes they are they are who abducted him um so she spent her whole life looking for this building she finally finds the building she gets inside and the building goes on lockdown because there are these enemies inside called the hiss they are an extra dimensional enemy who are possessing normal humans and causing chaos and so once you get inside you find out that shit's going down and it's crazy and you're one of the only people who is not affected by the hiss um, you find out reasons for that later. Uh, but that's kind of it. Like you just, you, you get supernatural powers. You have a gun that can transform into different abilities. It goes from like a regular pistol to like a submachine gun, to a shotgun, to a grenade launcher. Um, and Jesse herself gets a wide array of things. She can do like a force push. She can do, uh, she can pick up things telekinetically and toss them. She can do a like shield. She can hover, not really a full flight, but it's kind of like a pretty generous hover. 
Um, and that's like the bare bones of the game, I think. Um, there's NPCs scattered around you can talk to. Uh, there are a million documents to find, but that's kind of how the game goes. Is that a pretty fair summation? That was a very thorough summation, I think. All right. Thank you. Thank you. So let's talk about the story real quickly. Um, <clears throat> that is exactly what I wanted to start with. So I'm glad you wanted to start there, too. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. We are on the same page or we're on the same page. Um, so so I, 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 I'm going to say up front that I like the story a lot. I think that probably you like the story less. So let's hear from you first. What did you not like about the story? <clears throat> well, OK, so this is kind of like. I kind of wanted to take this opportunity for us to kind of like talk through the story together because I did not really enjoy what was going on story-wise in the game. But I also feel like there's sort of an element of maybe me just either like not paying enough attention or not like maybe really understanding what was going on. And like maybe that's part of the reason why I didn't like it. So I, I definitely want to like talk through this a little bit because like in the beginning you play as Jesse and... She gives, and to, to be frank, I don't really think any of the dialogue in this game is, like, very good. I think it's all kind of, kind of, like, it feels like it was, like, written on its first draft and then, like, never revised to me. And she gives this really, like, cringy monologue in the beginning, like, literally the very beginning of the game that's about, like, like, posters and how, like, she always wants to, like, look behind posters and, like, is there a world behind the poster? And it makes, like, I mean, maybe there's some, like, ooh, like, metaphor that I'm, like, not really getting here. Um, but it, like, it, like, starts out on this, like, poster extravaganza, like, I don't know, thing, like, monologue. And then that only comes up, like, one more time, like, 80% through the game where she, like, starts talking about posters again. And I, just, I was just, like... This is, this is, like, not an interesting metaphor to me. And so she, like, finds the Bureau of Control, and she starts meeting, like, she, the, basically the first thing she does when she gets there is she goes to the director's office, facing zero resistance getting there. The director is dead on the floor behind his desk. It appears to be a suicide because the game kind of alludes to the fact that he shot himself. He has fallen off his chair, and he's dead next to the uh, desk, and the gun, the special gun that she picks up is there. She picks up the gun, and then all of a sudden, because she has the gun, she has become the new director of the Bureau of Control. So, like, she will find these other NPCs in the building, and basically all the NPCs are, like, or most of them that she could talk to are sort of, like, executive-level people from different branches of the Bureau, and they're sort of, like, losing their, their grasp, obviously, on the building and on the Bureau because this hiss presence has come in and, like, you know, taken over people and made them, like, float in the air, and they're kind of, like, babbling to themselves and stuff. And so when they realize that she has, like, the gun, they sort of, like, straighten up, and they're like, oh, you're the director, okay. And then they just sort of, like, it's like this protocol that she stepped into that she doesn't quite realize that she stepped into. And it, the game does this thing a lot where she has, and I know I talked about this on the first time we talked about the game, where Jesse has, like, an internal monologue that's going on a lot. And it reminds me a lot of the Uncharted games because it's her just like talking things out to herself internally. But the thing that I think is really annoying about the game is that a, every time she has internal uh, like dialogue, the game will like zoom in on her eyeballs, which is like the least interesting sort of like visual representation of like an internal monologue you can get. And also like the internal monologue stuff she says will always be like, She'll be, like, talking to somebody, and there'll be a pause, and her internal monologue, she'll be like, 
oh, maybe I should ask her about my brother. I don't know if I should. And then she immediately is like, oh, have you heard of my brother? And I'm like, why? Like, I, I didn't really understand, like, why they made her, like, talk internally about the stuff that she wanted to talk about, like, three seconds before she talked about it, because that didn't really make her character any more interesting to me. And so she spends the course of the game, like, trying to find her brother, who she thinks is locked up somewhere in the Bureau of Control. She finds him at a certain point in the game, and he's sort of, like, still possessed by the hiss. And then I thought that that was going to be a big, like, climactic moment in the game, but it didn't really feel that climactic to me, because he doesn't really, like, break away from the control of the hiss, and she doesn't really, like, rescue him in any way. He just sort of, like, is there. And then she goes off to, like, fight all this other stuff. And, like, and meanwhile, she has this, like, thing in her head that she calls Polaris. And it's just, like, this, I don't, like, supernatural thing that's, like, doesn't, I don't really recall it ever being explained very well in the game. And, I mean, you could totally correct me if I'm wrong. But, like, it's just, like, she just suddenly is, like, oh, I have this thing that like kind of guides me and I, I just felt like very just like childish sci-fi to me and didn't really seem that deep or that interesting um but i i don't know like i i will give you the floor to respond to that because like for that stuff that was happening in the game i just was like not really interested by anything that was going on all right i will definitely take the other side because i feel like this was a really interesting and cool story um I will say, just to be to be fair to you and to be fair to probably everybody else listening, um, I, I really, really, really dislike Remedy's habit of leaning on documents. I don't think they need to lean on documents as much as they do. And the last time we talked about this, at the time, I was still of the mindset of like, oh, yeah, I'm reading documents and this is fun and cool. <clears throat> I'm usually anti-documents. I'm very anti-documents. I am especially anti um what is it? Voice? What, what the fuck? What do you call them? Voice track? No, not voice track. Voice clips. Oh, uh, like, an, like an audio log? Audio log. Thank you. Thank you. That is the word. I'm, that is the English word, which is ex- escaping me at this moment. <laughs> um, super against audio logs and all that shit. But I was down with it for like the first maybe like hour or two. Um, but I will say that I really hate how much they depend on documents uh, and audio logs and videos and all sorts of little things that you pick up because... If there's just, there's too much, there's just way too much. There's way too much. I think it's fine. And they even bought themselves a little leeway with me because you're in a federal building and federal employees love protocol. They love paperwork. Everything's filed in triplicate. Like they have these, you know, bureaucracy, like it makes sense that there would be documents and paperwork and stuff like that. But I feel like you got to be really targeted when you use that. Like if she broke into like an archives room, that would be the perfect time when I'd be like, okay, I am now mentally prepared to read like 20 documents in a row because I'm in the archive room and because I've just gotten through an hour of combat and I'm ready to take a break from that. Like that would be a good use of like how to do that. But in this, in this game, and and this has been true of remedy, like since the beginning of time, like they put like at least one or two documents, like in every room. And so you're constantly like picking up something and then you're never sure how relevant something's going to be. Half the stuff is like flavor text. Half the stuff is just something that might relate to a quest. Some of it is about the story it's just, it's way too much, dude. So I got to be honest, after about the first hour or two, I stopped reading that stuff because it was too much. I was like, I can't, I can't do it. This is silly. This is dumb. So that said, I do like what they did with the 
internal monologue because not only does it keep it very clear and focused, um, I think that there's a there's a an art to telling a story in a very clear way, and a lot of people I think do not have the skill to intelligently follow a complex story. And I don't mean that to sound like a negative, but I mean, it's, it's, it's true. Like having written two books and knowing a lot about story and looking at story in video games and thinking about how stories are told and spending a lot of time thinking about it. If you want your story to be clearly told, you have to take extra steps. Like it doesn't just happen. I mean, there's going to be people who will be very naturally curious and they'll click into whatever you're doing. And there's always, there's like a bell curve, right? Like there's people at the end who will understand whatever you're saying, no matter what. There's some people who will never understand what you're saying, no matter what. And there's a lot of people <laughs> in the middle that you can sway. And I think that their approach of being very clear about like going to Jesse's internal dialogue and showing it very overtly, I think was good. I know you didn't care for it. And honestly, they could have varied it a little bit. It didn't have to always be your eyes or something. It would have been nice if they had done a few different angles or something, but I like that they took the pause so that, you know, when she's thinking about it, because that was really some of the only real character work that she gets. And if you think about who her character is again, going back to um, an event, which happens, it's called like the ordinary event. Um, I don't know if you got into that or not, but there was a number of films in the game that talked about it. People talked about it in dialogue. There were some documents. Um, if you put it all together and just kind of follow it along. So basically what happens is, Jesse and her brother, what's her brother, Dylan? Is that his name? Yeah, Dylan? yeah, Dylan. Jesse and Dylan, when they're kids, they find this object which has been corrupted by an extra-dimensional influence. Uh, and this object is a film projector. They find it in a dump, and it's it's projecting uh, using spiritual energy or whatever, and it's opening a portal to, like, another dimension. So they get exposed to it, and and this, this thing comes through the portal, and it gets inside of them both. Like it gets inside of Jesse and it gets inside of Dylan. And that's what Jesse calls Polaris. So it's like this extra dimensional entity that awakens these abilities in both of them. So contact with this thing from another dimension gives them both this proclivity for special powers. Um, the, the Bureau of Control comes in, sees what's going on. Um, Jesse leaves the scene because she's freaked out or whatever. Dylan doesn't leave for whatever reason. Maybe he's passed out or something. The Bureau takes the projector and they take Dylan and then they're just gone and they don't know what happened to Jesse. They couldn't find Jesse. Jesse doesn't know what happened to Dylan. And then she spends her entire life wondering about this event. And every day since then, she has Polaris in her head, which is not necessarily talking to her, but like giving her images or feelings and like giving her this ability to do stuff. So like when Jesse shows up at the Bureau of Control in the first five minutes of the game, she has already spent like... 20 years or whatever of like thinking about, oh, you know, there's this agency, there's these men in black, there are these, the, you know, the X-Files, it's a real thing. I saw it with my eyes, they kidnapped my brother. Like she's been one of these tinfoil hat wearing UFO people, <laughs> you know, the people who are camped outside of Area 51 in Arizona or whatever, like she's one of those people. So she's already like really like inclined to doing that. But on top of that, her experience with Polaris has given her powers already. Like she already has limited powers and she already has like the force push when she gets there. Like, that's just off the shelf. So she's lived a life where she's already is, like, tangibly proven to be an extra sensory, you know, special person. So I liked that she had, like, a lot of this internal dialogue and she would think about, you know, I'm, I'm used to being weird. I don't know what is what people are going to think of me. I don't know what these people in the control bureau, are they are they also weird? Do they are they going to think this is normal? Like, so like that kind of process of her kind of deciding how much to share and when in the face of everything that was going on, I thought was pretty good. And it was really clear. They really took steps um, to really lay it out um, 
in a way that was very easy to absorb, which I appreciate. I don't like it when game writers assume too much or they, they drop a few crumbs here and there and think that people are smart enough to tag along. I am often not smart enough to tag along. I often want it spelled out for me uh, in certain ways because I don't feel like the cues that work for me necessarily work for other people. So I like how simple it was. And I do really like the story because um, it Jesse's character made sense to me and the events of the world made sense to me. Like if you think about like Lovecraft stuff, otherworldly stuff, extra dimensional stuff, X-Files, Men in Black, like that's really what, what Control is all about. Like it's about a person getting into that agency and realizing that the world is like so much crazier. And she talks about that poster metaphor. I totally agree that they do not handle it as well as they could in the first, the first time they bring it up. Cause she's like, Oh, there's a poster and you pull the poster back. And, but when she, she brings it up at the end, she's like, Oh yeah, the Shawshank redemption. And if anybody's seen the Shawshank redemption, uh, you've seen it, haven't you? I'm sure. I have not seen it. Oh shit. You haven't. Okay. I know that 100% explains why it doesn't make sense to you because they are directly referencing the Shawshank redemption. Number one, go watch that movie. That's an incredible movie. Uh, you should go watch that movie. Uh, but in the Shawshank redemption, just a very brief spoiler to explain why she references that. In the Shawshank Redemption, there's a prisoner, <clears throat> excuse me, and he is carving a hole through the wall in his cell, and he covers up the hole by putting a poster over it. So whenever the guards come to, like, toss a cell, they never think to, like, remove the poster from the wall, and he's got, like, this giant tunnel in back of the wall, and so when she's referencing the poster, she's like, oh, you know, it looks like just a wall, but when you peel the poster back, there's this tunnel that leads to, like, the entire outside world, or in Control's case, it leads to, like, all these other dimensions, all these other realities, all these other crazy dark things that you don't realize are there if you peel the poster back. So, I mean, granted, not the best metaphor, and I think it helps. I mean, I think you, I, I think as you proved, you must see the Shawshank Redemption in order to even understand what she's talking about. Uh, but I, I mean, it was fine. I mean, it worked for me. It could have been done better, but it was all right. Um, but I really like just how you get into it, and she just likes being there because it's kind of like the validation for her whole life of being a Tin Hat uh, person and her brother's actually there. So it proves that she wasn't crazy. Like the projector's there. So like everything that she thought was true actually is true. And it's just like this giant, 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 like reward for her. So it makes sense that she would want to be there, that she would want to dig into like what's going on to get to know to people. And then on top of that, I mean, you know, she becomes a director, like in the first five minutes. So of course that's like another, wow, this is something I've wanted my whole life. And not only am I here, I am in charge of all of it. And then, I mean, how big of a crazy thing is that? So I really liked it a lot. I thought the story was great. Um, and I liked one thing that I liked, which maybe, maybe you don't like, or I'm not sure what you think about this, but not everything in this game is really clearly spelled out. They, um, have Jesse talk to these extra dimensional entities called the board, and they are clearly creatures from another dimension who are getting through to earth dimension and working with the Bureau of Control. Um, so she's talking to them. They're not fully explained. There's one creature that is like a defector from the board and you fight that creature later on. And so they don't really fully explain that. There's all sorts of other, they don't fully explain like where the hiss come from. They don't fully explain where like Polaris came from or like how she activated Jesse's powers. Like, are they from Polaris or did Jesse already have them? But, but that's fine. I mean, I think in a lot of stories like this, you don't ever get like full explanations. Sometimes you just have to assume, assume that like the universe is like a giant mystery. And sometimes you just never understand things. And sometimes things happen for a reason that maybe you're not privy to that reason, but things are still there. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of like that it all wasn't tied up in a knot. Like, it really captures that, like, otherness, that, like, 
really alien feeling of like being a very small part of a huge machine and just not being able to take in the big picture. Um, I mean, that's a very common theme in a lot of Lovecraft stories. And I think that was really well captured here. Um, I know that not a lot of people are, are tagging Lovecraft in with this particular game, but I think that they have a lot of that flavor. Yeah, I, um, I don't know. I just like didn't, I think part of this, and I, like I said earlier, is that like, I think from the get go, the dialogue was just so like, not interesting to me that I just basically kind of stopped paying attention. And then whenever the, like, I saw how many, like, you know, audio logs and documents and stuff that were in the game, I just kind of got really turned off to the story and immediately just like, didn't really pay that much attention to what was going on. And, and like the whole like Shawshank Redemption thing, like, I think it's like a probably, and it's not, this isn't the first like medium that I've seen do this, but like, if like, one of your like biggest plot points is basically just a reference to something else that kind of goes unexplained. I just think that's really like pretentious and kind of like lazy where like, because there's always, and you know, haha, like I'm the loser here. Cause I didn't know what it was about, but like, I don't know. It's just like the kind of like writing where it's like, all it does is just like reference other things. And if you don't know what those things are, then you completely like, miss out on the experience and i mean it's i've seen this in other you know games and movies and stuff where it's just like i i don't i don't know i don't really buy that like i would rather like the sort of like hinge of like this theme that the game opens on be like something that they came up with themselves and not just like oh well if you've seen this movie then like of course you'll get it i just think that's like really stupid and not interesting at all yeah, I agree that they shouldn't have pinned so much on that one metaphor. Um, but I do think that the game stands on its own. I mean, I think that if you hadn't read Lovecraft, if you hadn't seen Shawshank, if you hadn't watched X-Files or whatever, I think it captures that same spirit without necessarily having to draw on those things as references. But uh, but of course, I think if you have seen those things, then your enjoyment would be much more, uh, you know, and definitely amplified for sure. But I mean, one thing that I do want to talk about also <clears throat> is... The pacing, I think that we both were really fans of the pacing, and I really liked how you were able to go back and talk to those characters. I liked the characters a lot more than you did, clearly. I thought the characters were great. Um, I enjoyed coming back and talking to them, and I was always looking forward to what their next dialogue would be because they all seem like lifers in the agency, and they're all like really dedicated to their departments, and they're all, they've all been there for years, and so they're very used to weirdness being the norm. And so talking to these people, I thought was just really, really funny. Like there's a guy who's in the containment department who's like really worried about his cat. And he's just, that's his most, his biggest focus is his cat, even though he's got like all these crazy possessed items going around. And, you know, there's a guy in security who's kind of like, you know, he's kind of bummed that all his teammates have been killed, but he's trying to just take it on the chin and just roll with it. And the lady who's like the science lab, who's like the super science nerd, and she's like super into her research. And I, I mean, I, it seems like these guys didn't connect with you at all, but I thought they were a cute bunch. And I thought it was really fun to go back and talk to them over and over. And I, I like that you had the ability to, um, that you weren't only seeing them in specific cutscenes every, you know, two hours or whatever. Like you could take a break from the combat and come back and talk to these people if you wanted to, see if they had a new quest to offer you. And, and like also with the rest of the game, like as you're going through the building, you have time to explore and then you'll kill a couple guys and then you'll just be left alone for like a little while. Just check out the hallways and check out the weird artifacts and look at things. And then maybe they'll pop up and have a quick skirmish and then you go back to exploring. I mean, I really liked the back and forth between cool down, nothing going on, exploring time, just being in the space time as opposed to the hot, fast, 
intense combat time. And I feel like they really did a great job of balancing that in, con in, in conjunction with having those NPCs around. I was very surprised that there were NPCs. I was expecting nothing but combat from start to finish. So the, the fact that like the control bureau was taking back certain wings and certain people had like safe zones, I thought was really cool. But what did you think of the pacing overall? Um, I did like the pacing because I was kind of expecting almost like a Max Payne type thing where you just kind of get in and like all you do over the entire course of the game is just like shoot people and then enter the next room and shoot people and enter the next room and shoot people. And to be frank, if that sort of had been the setup for this game, I think the combat is good enough that that would have been fine for me. Um, but it just, and this is part of the reason why I, I'm not as satisfied with the story either, is that like the combat and the pacing and like the set design, and I know we'll like, you know, kind of talk about the building itself in a minute here, but like, that is so impressive to me that I almost like didn't really need the story at all. Like it kind of feels to me sort of like how maybe like Silent Hill 2 is where you like get to the city and it's just so strange and so weird and so mysterious that like I don't really need the game to kind of like shove a story down my throat. And I feel a little bit like Control was kind of doing that where I wish that if it would have had like half as much dialogue, I probably would have been really happy because I don't need, like, I don't want to talk to people. Like I, you know, it has kind of a mass effect thing going on where you can like, like you were talking about, go back and talk to the NPCs, go back and talk to the different like executives that are in their wings. But every time I got an objective from one of them to go do something like <clears throat> I, and then I saw that it was like, Oh, here's your dialogue <laughs> options. If you want to ask them any questions, I was like, no, like, I don't want to ask these people anything. Like, the last thing I want to do is, like, stand around and listen to this, like, kind of boringly written dialogue that thinks it's more interesting than it is. So, like, I didn't ask anybody anything. I was like, all right, give me my mission. I'm going to get the <laughs> fuck out of here. Like, because I wanted to go, like, look at the building. I didn't want to look at these weird executive people that are around. Like, I wanted to go explore the building. I wanted to go, you know, fight stuff. Because, like, like the set dressing and, like, the set design and the... the um just like the flavor and attitude of the atmosphere is so strong that I didn't want to listen to people talk. I didn't want to talk to people. I didn't want to read stuff. I didn't want to do audio logs. Like I just wanted to go explore because everything is so well designed. And I mean, you know, maybe if the building had been less cool, I would have wanted to talk to people more. Like maybe it's so like, I'm in a weird kind of catch 22 situation here, but just like the bureau itself was so cool. And like the way that they pace, like the action and the exploration was so, like, sort of, like, had a, it just breathed a lot more than I expected it to. Um, I just wanted to go out and explore. I didn't want to be stuck in a boardroom talking to some lady who just sat on her ass the entire time while I was out fighting everything. Like, I wanted to go do the things and go see the things, so I just was not interested in any of the people that were, like, trying to get me to stop and talk to them. Okay, well, I mean, that's fair. I thought they were really cool, and I liked... That was one of my favorite parts, was coming back and talking to people. I was really excited when they had new dialogue and... You know, very frequently they gave out quests that you probably wouldn't have found otherwise, like if you didn't go through the dialogue. I mean, that's actually one thing that I think is really interesting about this game is like a lot of this game is there to be discovered, but it is not in the critical path. And they don't really do a lot to like put you on the path to discovering those things, which I think is cool because it makes it feel like more of a discovery. This is something this is a quality that I think was really um it's a really bold quality, and I like when developers take that risk of saying, hey, we spent all this time making this quest or making this NPC or doing this, creating this cool room, 
If you search around, you're going to find it. And it's like a little reward, an Easter egg for you when you find it. But if you don't want to look for it, if you want to just keep on the critical path, we're not going to stop you. Uh, but if you do go out of your path and find this thing, it's like this really awesome, you know, like a big reward for actually taking the time to go find something like that. So I really like that a lot. And it, I got to say, it made me very excited and very motivated to talk to people and to keep looking at documents and things because there are a couple side quests that you only find by picking up a document like no one will ever tell you about it it will never pop up on your radar unless you pick up a certain document and there's certain quests where you will never get this quest unless you talk to this you know xyz person one or two or three times if you keep coming back and then all of a sudden they're like oh by the way i need you to do this thing and then you go do this quest and then all of a sudden it's like you get like a new power like this all new power or like this like some of the, the rewards were like pretty major i thought um, so like it felt really worthwhile to do that. Um, but I mean, if you think they're boring, I totally get that. I didn't think they were boring. I really enjoyed going back to and talking to them. And I liked the cast of characters very much. I thought they were very cool and, and cute. And um, it was just, it, it, I always looked forward to seeing what they were going to say because there was always something that was, I thought was pretty entertaining. So, well, now I'm just nervous that I missed a bunch of quests and stuff because I didn't waste a lot of time talking to people. Now I'm nervous. I guarantee that if you hit, if you did not talk to everybody, and you weren't picking up those uh, those uh, documents. You did you did miss some quests. I think in the game, I want to say there's like thirteen or fifteen optional side quests. Some of them are pretty major, some of them are minor, but a lot of them you're gonna just miss if you don't take the time to do that. But I like that they leave it up to you. Like it's okay. Like they don't shove it down your throat. If you want to just crit path, you totally can. And I think that's really. I mean, honestly, I think that's the best game design overall in general for any game. Give me the option to crit path and just get through it if I want to. But if I want more, let me choose how much I want to get through. That's one of my favorite ways to design a game. And they really nail it, like, so hard to control. I really like the, that I had the, the choice to kind of self-regulate how much action I wanted, how much downtime I wanted, how much exploration I wanted. I love that they left that up to me. And it just was so satisfying because I was in charge. And that was a good feeling. Yeah, I, um, I did, after I finished the game, I found an entire quest uh the one where you like go all the way down to the basement and there's like the bitchy scientist down there and you have to do yeah. like the mold quest i had no idea that even existed and i just like happened to find that like crater and i like jumped down that hole because you have to have like the floating ability to do it or else it'll just fall and die and i went down there and i was like oh i haven't been down here yet and then i like kept going and suddenly there was a little research center with a lady in it and she was talking about the mold and how I had to go, I don't know, explore it and destroy this mold monster. And like, that was a pretty good situation, which I was glad that I was actually out exploring, which is my favorite thing to do in the game. Because if I hadn't, you know, I mean, I had to have the jump the floating ability first, but if I hadn't thought to come back and jump down that hole, then I would have never even seen that part of the game, but I'm glad that I did. That is a really cool quest because you can find that one just on your own as soon as you get the float or someone will tell you about it later on at the end of the game. But that's exactly like, just like, just like you're saying, like you're walking around and you see something and you're like, well, that's weird. Like, I mean, obviously like this, they have it cordoned off. There's mold on the ground. There's a giant hole. It, it's really inviting you to go jump down there and see what's down there. And there's, there's an absolute reward. There's like a whole, but there's a new NPC down there. There's like a whole wing of the building you haven't seen before. There's a whole giant quest, like a multi-part quest that goes down there. And it's like that with the rest of the game too. Like if you look around, I mean, this is one game where it really rewards observation, where if you're really looking at your environment, you're really taking in what's going on. There's actual stuff that's hidden. And I love the fact that it's not just something weird. 
and you just go about your business. Like there's something weird, but then there's like a quest or there's like a hidden person or there's like a monster or there's a reward. So they really took the time to like lay those Easter eggs in this, in this environment, which really makes it worthwhile to explore and not just take in the sites, but also to really think about it and process it and examine it. I feel like it's very rich, very rich environment, which I really, really liked a lot. Um, let's talk about some of these side quests too, because I fucking love the side quest. This is, I have not hundred percent at a game since I don't even know when <laughs> I'm trying. I think probably darkest dungeon was the last time I did that. And that was like three or four years ago. Uh, so I haven't really care, cared enough about a game to want hundred percent it, but this was a game where I wanted to talk to everybody. I wanted to do all the quests. I wanted to do all the side quests. I wanted to finish all the stuff. Um, so a lot of these quests, like we just mentioned are optional. Did you, what, what side quests did you do or which ones did you like, or what, what caught your fancy about some of these? Well, I liked, um, like the mold one that I just talked about. I liked that one because it was pretty unexpected, but the other one that stands out for me um, that I immediately think of is the refrigerator one. (laughs) I love the refrigerator one. (laughs) Yeah. It was just weird. Um, because like at a certain point in the game, you get to a sort of like containment center where, um, I can't, are they called altered items? What are they called, Brad? Uh, I think they're, yeah, altered items. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, so it's basically like any of these items in the world that have sort of been, like, possessed by the the hiss or whatever. Um, And there's one where there's a dude sitting in this, like, conference room, and he's looking at this refrigerator, and you go up to him, and he's like, oh, I can't, if I stop looking at this refrigerator, like, something will happen. I have to keep looking at it. And so you go into the room to, like release him essentially from looking at this fridge which sounds ridiculous and is ridiculous and whenever you go into the room there's this brilliant moment where like between there's kind of like a room between the conference room and where you are and as you're in route he like dies or disappears and so you get in there and suddenly he's gone which was great and then the the fridge kind of like absorbs you and there's this thing in the game called the astral plane and it's kind of used for like a lot of the tutorial stuff where like if you get a new power you like warp to the astral plane and it like shows you how to use it and in this situation you get warped to the astral plane but there's this like giant boss creature thing that's like this big i don't even know how to explain it like in most of the game you're fighting things that appear to be pretty human-like but this thing is just like this giant, like like almost like insect-looking thing, and it has like this giant eyeball that shoots a laser down to you. And I thought it was like a pretty compelling boss fight, and I enjoyed it. The only thing I didn't enjoy was that I fell off the platform like twice and died, which was really annoying. But I thought it was like as far as boss fights go, I thought it was pretty well done, and it was just unexpected, like oh, there's this weird fridge that somebody's watching, and then suddenly you get, like, sucked into the altered world astral plane, and then you have to, like, fight this giant insect laser-shooting demon thing, and it it was just really kind of off-the-wall and unexpected, but I did enjoy that one. That is a perfect example. Um, I I thought that quest was super cool because the dude watching the fridge is just kind of, like, really funny and weird and just unexpected. Um, and then it also plays into like the rest of the game because that monster that you fight is, is called the former. And he, I think is one of the board members who is no longer with the board. So he's kind of like, he left or he got exiled or something. And so like, if you talk to the board about him, they're like, oh yeah, fuck that guy. He's not with (laughs) us anymore. And so it kind of like, it, it illustrates a little bit of like the backstory, the other parts of the world where there's like a war on like multiple planes, like in this other dimension, there are these creatures who are fighting for control like the the board hates the hiss and the hiss want to take over the board and there's this other guy who left the board and he hates the board 
And so there's all these, these other factors and forces that you don't know about that are happening on other planes of existence. And so that was, that was a pretty cool quest. Um, it's one of the few times that you fight a non-human enemy. And it's a really, like, like you said, very compelling. It's very surprising. It's very unlike anything else you've seen up until that point. And you're not expecting to see, like, this giant fucking monster show up out of nowhere. <laughs> um, because you've only seen, like, you know, the Hiss guys who look like humans who are kind of glowing red or something. And it's just, like, you just you just don't see it coming. So that's pretty cool. I love that quest um, a lot. Uh, I love the one where you get out of the... Find uh, the mold in the basement. I thought that was really cool. Um, I liked... Uh, the, did you do the mirror quest? Oh, I was hoping you were going to bring this up. Yeah, the mirror one is great. Yeah, I love the mirror quest. You Somebody tells you about a mirror. Somehow you figure out that there's a, a mirror you need to go find. I forget where you pick up the clue for it, but you go find the mirror and it's like locked away. And there's this really, it's just like a one-off puzzle. It's like the only puzzle of its kind in the game, which I, I thought happened a couple times where you would do one thing that wasn't repeated. But it, I thought that puzzle actually was really kind of hard because you really had to twist your brain around to figure out which way to solve it. There's like a mirror, you're looking through a camera that's looking through a mirror and you got to figure out which way to like flip these switches and once you get in there and then um you find like this mirror version of yourself like you know dark jesse or whatever or in the in the game they call her east edge or whatever it's like jesse backwards <laughs> you know which is kind of funny uh but that was just like a cool battle like and it's not exactly 100 percent explained why that is it's just like something weird it's like an x-files thing that happens um you can kind of guess what's coming because it's a mirror and i mean you know what else do you do in a mirror except for fight images of yourself or whatever <laughs> uh but it was just a really cool battle like uh, out of nowhere different unexpected you could totally you don't have to do it at all you can totally just walk right by it and skip it if you want to you might not even know that it's even there uh but you do it and it's like really cool it's a cool fight cool environment cool flavor and when you leave that room uh there's just like a suit like you get a cool reward for it too like it's easy to miss it's not thrown in your face but if you notice that it's there you can pick it up and you got a whole new outfit for jesse so it's pretty cool yeah, I thought that one was pretty excellent. And not to mention, like, the boss fight itself, it took me probably, like, six or seven tries to beat it because it's really it's really challenging, but also, like, challenging in all of the right ways, which is how I felt about most, but not all, of the combat in the game. I would agree. Did you do the Mr. Tomasi quest? Uh, yeah, and his second boss fight was so fucking hard, and I was really annoyed whenever I was doing that one. Yeah, that is, I think, the hardest fight in the game, I think. Uh, that was that was hard for, like, a, just a cheap reason, because he kept having enemies spawn in on you, and plus he does, like, a shitload of damage if he catches you with one of his um, attacks. I did not enjoy that one. I finished it, uh, but it took me, like, eight or ten tries, and I did not like it very much. Uh, but I'm glad that, in general, most of the combat is pretty doable once you get a good rhythm down. I mean, like you mentioned earlier, the, the developer's intention of having you do powers... When your powers are on cooldown, you fall back to your gun, you shoot your gun. When your gun's out of ammo, your powers have probably cooled off by that point, so you can do the powers. Going back and forth was a really smart choice. Keeps the pace up all the time, gives you lots of options, keeps things from feeling too stale. Um, and I think that, in general, most of the challenges in the game are pretty doable once you know what the enemies do. You might die once, but then you're like, oh, okay, well, this is the guy that bum rushes me, or oh, this is the guy that shoots grenades or something. And once you know that's coming, you're probably not going to fall for it the second time. So I, I thought that was a fine learning curve. Um, the only problem I had besides the Mr. Tomasi one, which I thought was very difficult. And I did think that fighting, um, dark Jesse was a little challenging. I did do that one a couple times too, but like the final, the final gauntlet as you're oh going, boy. Oh boy, here we go. Yeah, man. Like, <laughs> like we've already said, um, this game's checkpoints are bullshit. And I, I do feel that this game's checkpoints are bullshit rather than getting sent back to your last hard save point. 
Just start me back outside the door of the room where I died, just like a normal game does these days. That's just how games do it these days, guys. Just FYI. Um, that is what I wanted. That's not what you get. You get sent back, and when you're in the final leg of the game, oh my god, dude, I died. There's like five portions of this like big, tall spiral room you have to get through, and each level of the floor rises when you beat the last one. So you're kind of like climbing a tower a little bit, and it just gets harder and harder as you get up. I died at the fifth fucking section so many times <laughs> i was losing my shit because then you got to go back not only are you not even in the room so you got to get back to the room but then you got to get through the first four sections again it was just like bullshit they give you one checkpoint in there where you can eventually start um i think at the second phase of the fight but oh man it was just like a lot to get through i was just, i was just losing my shit dude because i could get through those other parts no problem it was just the fifth one and that one took me forever to get past. I mean, I, did you have a tough time there too? Oh yeah, I was not pleased about that last fight. And I also saw a lot of people on Twitter complaining about the last fight. And and the other like thing about the fight that's incredibly annoying is that, like you said, as you're on the platforms that are rising up, you're getting higher in the air, you can fall off of the goddamn yes. platform. And the thing that really pissed me off about that is that the game has a like jump and float hover mechanism, but if you fall off of something, you cannot engage the float. You can only engage it if you jump. And so every time I fell off of a platform, I was like, oh, I'll just hold X and then float, you know, like Princess Peach and Super Mario Brothers 2, like to the next platform and land like a graceful princess that I am. But no, if you fall off a platform, you cannot engage the float and you have no choice but to just fall to your death. And I think I did that like three times in the final fight. And I know it was my own fall because I'm a fucking idiot, but like the the room is very dark the platforms are black so it's like hard to see and then you fall <clears throat> off and then you're just tumbling to your death in the air and it was incredibly annoying yeah i died multiple times by dodging and not realizing which direction out like like realizing how close to <laughs> like the dodging edge I was. right off the edge <laughs> yeah dodging off the edge and this is a dark game dude like i mean, we haven't really talked about it but i think this game does pretty well with like colors and design and i think the oldest house looks pretty cool but it's a really dark game. I don't know about you, but I had to turn the brightness up pretty far. And even with the brightness up pretty far, there were still multiple times when I felt like I was in a room that was just really too dark. And I get that dark is spooky and it sets a mood. <laughs> but, like, you have to just see what's going on. Like, video fucking games, guys. Like, I need to see the video. And, yeah, th like, that part, I dodged off the platform several times. When we were fighting that big monster, like, he makes holes in the ground that I thought were, like, impossible to see until you were, like, already falling through them. Well, yeah, because you're so, looking up at his stupid ass exactly. for the whole fight. <laughs> exactly. You're looking up at him because he's huge. He somehow makes the floor fall away, and you're not, you don't see the floor falling away, so you don't know it's there. That was what killed me more than anything, was falling through the floor with that guy. Um, and I gotta just say, falling into a pit is a super unsatisfying way to die, especially... When you don't just take, like, a little bit of damage and get reset to the platform, you got to go all the way back to your last save point, which I felt like, again, really bad system, did not like that. Um, so th I was not a fan of that. But, so, we get through these sections. Let's talk about the story again for a second. Um, I heard a lot of people saying that they really disliked the ending, that they thought the ending was terrible. Uh, you know, like I mentioned before, I hate this phrase, but many people described it as a big wet fart, which I really don't like. Um, I don't like that phrase at all, but that was what came up a lot. And I, I asked you before, without spoilers, if you thought the ending was good or bad. I think you said it was bad. I did um, say it was bad. Now, okay, good. Now that we are talking about it without 
um, spoiler concerns. What did you think of the ending? Why did you think it was bad? What was your take on the ending? Well, okay, so I, I'm going to go ahead and try to give myself the tiniest cop-out here and say that I, I, because I found the story so unsatisfying and slightly hard to follow that, like, the ending kind of... I, I don't really think there's anything that could have happened at the ending that would have been, like, a great payoff for me, but my sort of takeaway from the ending was, like, like the driving force of the game is sort of like her trying to find her brother and about 60% of the way through the game, she finds her brother. And then that plot thread is like kind of dropped for a while. And I was like, okay, like that, this is the whole point of coming here. Jesse was to like find him. And I'm not saying that at the end of the game, I was expecting them to like exit the bureau and like ride off into the sunset together on a motorcycle. Like I didn't really think that was going to happen, but like, the ending of the game just felt really unfinished to me in a way where it was sort of like your sort of classic, like, okay, the game is over, but there's still work to do. So I'm going to stick around. And it's like, you know, it's like every RPG or like every open world game does this where like, it doesn't have a very good, like definitive ending. And then the character just like wakes up the next day and it's like, Oh, well there's still work to be done. So I'm going to stick around. And that's just very like how it felt to me. Like it didn't really feel like it had a very good sort of like finite ending or even, I don't know. It was just like, okay, we did this last fight and we blew up this like tank thing that was in the air, but okay, I guess I'll just stick around because there's more work to do. And I just, I don't know. I didn't really feel very satisfied by like anything at the end of the game. And I was also really frustrated by the last boss fight. So that's, or not boss fight, but like the last platform fight. So that certainly didn't help because I was really frustrated on top of that. And then when the credits rolled, I was just like, wow, that's it. Like you're just sticking around and that's the end of the game. Like, and I just felt kind of unfinished to me. Well, I, um, I, I was also frustrated. I will say that I, I was feeling really high on this game all the way through and I still like it, but like that particular moment, uh, when I was doing the boss fight, that did start to erode some of the goodwill because, you know, falling off a platform doesn't feel good. It's a pretty grueling stretch that you got to get through. It's pretty long. The save point is pretty far back. So that kind of took away from it. But when you finally get through that last section, and then the credits roll the first time, and it's like a fake out. And then like, I did, gets... I did like that because okay, when the credits rolled, I was like, I was sitting on the couch <clears throat> in disbelief, and I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me? That was really the end? Like, are you serious? Are you are you serious, Remedy?" And then you notice the text and the credits starts getting weird, and it's like it was very like Eternal Darkness, Sanity's Requiem moment, yeah, where like yeah, yeah. she's hallucinating and the game fakes you out, and then there's more to it. I did really like that, but even the ending after that, on top of it, I was still like, eh, I'm not really into this. But the credits fake out, I thought was pretty brilliant. Yeah, there was actually a surprising amount of game left after the credits rolled, um, and I was really surprised by that. And I was like, oh my god, like how. How deep does this go? Like, what what is going to happen here? So that was really interesting. I thought that whole part was really cool. And I think that by the time that you get there, um, you know, Jesse kind of realizes, like, it's it's more than just about her brother. I mean, that is definitely the big driving force for her going there. But once she gets there and she realizes, like, the hiss is, like, a danger to, like, the entire Earth and that these people are here doing all this work that she never knew was being done. And she's finally in a place where she's not weird anymore. She's like accepted for just who she is. And that, that whole thing added more to the, the equation than just her wanting to get her brother back. And then when she goes through all the stuff about figuring out exactly what happened and she realizes that this event that happened to her as a child is really like the instigating factor for so many things that happened after that. 
Um, I, I think it made sense to me that she wanted to stay. I mean, not only is she already the director, so she doesn't need to work her way up or anything, but she's, you know, she's, she's seeing how she is part of this picture and how the, the, the world is so much larger than she thought it was. And there's so much more to it. And this is kind of what she's wanted to aim her life for ever since she was a kid. And now that she's there, she's like in the thick of it. And so it made sense that she would want to stay and figure things out and want to just keep working towards what she's working on. I mean, I'm sure that we're probably going to talk to Dylan in one of the DLCs. I would be surprised if we didn't come back to that. I felt like that was just put on pause for a while, and I'm sure we're going to get back to it. I think also one of the NPCs uh, is left dangling. It was the the really strong black lady. I think her name was Marshall. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. She goes off to do something, and she says she's going to go to this location. If you go to the location, she's not there, and then people are like, oh, we don't know what happened to her. She's gone. I would not be at all surprised if, you know, going after Marshall was like one of the quests, if figuring out how to save Dylan and stop the Hiss once and for all is one of the quests in the DLC coming up. Um, so I'm assuming we're going to get more of that. But as it stands uh, just on its own, I was pretty satisfied with Dylan kind of left a question mark in a coma and her staying there because now she's kind of found her new place in the world and has a purpose. She doesn't feel weird anymore. She, she feels like she is that way for a reason. And now she can do some good with it. So I thought that was pretty fine. I was pretty happy with it. And I was honestly surprised that so many people really took offense to that ending. Cause a lot of people really did not like that ending, which I thought was kind of strange. I mean, I get why you don't like it, but in general, I thought it would have been at least like a meh, but a lot of people were kind of <laughs> angry about it, which I didn't, I don't quite get the anger, but you know, to each their own, I guess. Yeah, I um, I think the thing that because I didn't really feel like necessarily mad about it, I was just kind of disappointed. But the thing that I was a little bit mad about was um, like the week after Control came out, I saw like either like the Control Twitter account or Remedy or whoever like tweeting about like, oh, well, we already have these three DLC packs planned, and I was like, uh, of course you do. Like the ending was disappointing, and now you're gonna like charge us for these three DLC packs so you can like. I don't know, wait to end the game better later. And not only that, but the third DLC pack um, is apparently is going to have some crossover with Alan Wake. And I did not like Alan Wake. So I'm like not very pumped about like whatever weird crossover they're going to end up doing. Um, I truth be told, I thought the game was going to um, was going to cross over with Quantum Break instead of Alan Wake because a lot of the themes are similar to how the supernatural forces like act in the world between Quantum Break and uh, and Control but I feel like Alan Wake is probably I mean I'm sure Max Payne is probably like their most popular game but Alan Wake isn't that far behind so it makes sense that maybe they would want to go back to something that has more of like a cult following because I don't think Quantum Break was that popular but I'm not super pumped about like however they're going to draw those two stories together yeah, I'm not sure exactly what the connection was. I know that some people said that there were some documents you could find that tied Alan Wake and Control together. And I did hear one audio log that was the same radio station that was in Alan Wake. And I'm like, oh, I'm pretty sure that's the same thing. It's been a while since I played it. But I skipped over Quantum Break because I wasn't the biggest fan of Alan Wake. There was parts of it that I liked, but overall, I'm not going to say that I was the biggest fan of it. And in fact, in Alan Wake, the best part of the entire experience was like the DLC. The DLC was better than the main game. Um, so I was not that big a fan, but it, it does make sense that they would tie it together because Alan Wake was all about, you know, extra dimensional, paranormal, something weird going on. Exactly the same thing the Control is about. I don't know what Quantum Break was about. I mean, I did you, you didn't play it, did you, or did you? Yeah, I played it and reviewed it for Game Critics, yo. 
Uh, man, I don't remember that. I don't keep that stuff in my hard drive. <laughs> uh, I mean, that was, I mean, does this seem like the potential to cross over? I mean, that was about like time travel or something or time powers or something like that. Yeah. I mean, Quantum Break was more about like, it was sort of like this time machine explodes and then there's these like weird time pockets all over the world, but it just had a lot of similarities with, uh, with control because like, you know, a certain event happens, there's certain parts of the... I don't know, physical space that have been altered in a way and the characters in both games wear these vests to like keep themselves safe from whatever thing is going on. And it's more of like, you know, there's like a corporate team that's kind of working on the thing at hand. Whereas in Alan Wake, there's no like, it's just like him, like it's him exploring these supernatural forces going on. And there's not really like a big driving force behind it or not like an, an event i remember that like triggered everything so i don't know i just kind of expected control and quantum break to tie in together a little bit but i mean i don't really care because i didn't care that much about alan wake or quantum break so it's not like i was you know like really banking on it you know uh tying into quantum break because i love quantum break so much but i'm just kind of curious to see what they're gonna do with alan wake and control together yeah, I mean, Alan Wake, uh, just frankly speaking, was a dick. He was a terrible character. Yeah, he um, was awful. Yeah. Yeah, he was an asshole. He was an asshole that I did not enjoy playing. Um, so it's not like I want him to come back and be like, oh, yeah, Alan, so good. It's like, fuck off, Alan. <laughs> you were like a really rude dude. He was terrible to everybody in his game, and he was just a jerk. So I'm not, like, super looking forward to seeing Alan Wake again. Uh, but some of the stuff that came up in some of the DLCs I thought was interesting, and they started to kind of find their groove just as it was ending which I always thought was really unfortunate. I wish they had put some of the stuff from the DLC in the main game. It would have made a much better game. Uh, but we'll see how that ties up. But I am looking forward to more DLC. I definitely want to play more of Control. Um, I mean, I feel like I did everything that was worth doing, and I still wasn't quite satisfied. I think I had, like, withdrawals, like, the next day where I wanted to play it, but I didn't really have any reason to play it because I had done everything. And I, I don't just play a game just to, you know... I, I would have felt like I was wasting my time if I had played it just to play it, you know? So I'm definitely looking forward to more DLC. That would actually be welcome. I'm not usually one to say that, but I, I want more. It's not often that a game leaves me wanting more, but I definitely want more. Yeah, I agree with that. And I hope that um, Remedy keeps on their track record of taking a game and making like even better DLC for it. Because I, I've i gone back to play Control even after finishing all of like the side quests, or at least all the ones that I think are in the game. Um, and like I do like the world, and I like exploring it, and I like the combat, but I don't... Like, I want more to do. Like, I want a better reason to explore. And I feel like just running around from department to department, uh, fighting and whatever enemy encounters happen isn't quite enough to pull me back in. So I definitely want a reason to go back. And that's, yeah, something that I feel like you and I kind of don't express often. Like, if certain games are banked on replayability, like Hitman, I'm totally the person who will go back and play a mission, like, you know, 45 times to do whatever I need to do in it. But Control is not really, like there's not like a big replayability factor for it. Like after you do the side quest, it's kind of over with. Um, and I do really want more to play. And the other thing that's interesting about control is like, once you finish it, um, you can load your save and, you know, go explore and do whatever you want. But on the main menu, there is a mission select option, which I think is pretty fascinating. But the thing that bothers me, and I haven't tried this yet, but I went back, I was going to go back and play the final mission the other night just so I could like really refresh myself on how the game ended in order to do, you know, proper research for the show and all that. And I went to the mission select screen and I went to select the final mission and there was like the message that came up and it said something like, like, oh, this will like overwrite your progress. And I don't know if that meant like, 
overwrite my entire game or or it'll Ooh, take me like back reset your character maybe yeah to, i, I yeah. didn't know and so i didn't do it because i didn't want it to reset the character and the game doesn't have individual save slots so i couldn't just be like oh well i'll save this one in slot two and you know keep my end game one for slot one so i wish that they were a little more transparent about that because i would like to go back and play some of the missions because they're good but i don't want to like erase my character's build or like kneecap myself or like whatever and the game is not upfront enough about that for me to feel confident like pressing the okay button so that's a yeah, little bit yeah. worrisome for me agreed i didn't mess with that at all i wasn't sure what was going to happen and i didn't want to have an oops moment or anything like that uh, because i don't i don't know if i mentioned it or not but at one point when i was oh it was in the when i was in the last mission i was in the very last mission uh, my save data corrupted i posted about oh. it on twitter I missed that. Aww. I was totally freaking out because it corrupted right in the middle, in the middle of the last battle. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I love this game, but I don't know that I love it to play it completely over from the start just to get back to the last battle where my save ruined. Luckily, the online save was still valid. And so I could I deleted the old one and downloaded the the, the cloud save and it saved me. I went back to right where I was. I didn't lose any progress. Uh, but I did break out into a cold sweat at that moment. I was like, oh, my God, I hope this isn't gone. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think I hear what you're saying. Um, I do have a question for you, but I do want to say I, I don't have a good reason to come back. If there was an end to the hiss, like if you could keep fighting those battles and eventually wipe them all out, like that would be enough for me to go back. I don't think there's an end to them. I don't think you can finish them off. And there is nothing else to do. But on the plus side... The DLC can be anything. I mean, given the ethereal nature of the oldest house and the dimensional points that it connects to and all these different things you can do. I mean, the DLC can be literally anything, which I think is great. It's a great place to be where you could go to a different dimension. You could have different monsters you've never seen before. You could have all sorts of different physics rules. You could have anything. Anything could happen, and it's explained within the fiction. So I, real, I feel really positive about where Remedy left this. Um, huge potential for, you know, expanded adventures, huge potential for new characters, new scenarios. Um, they did not paint themselves into a corner, which I think is great. So I'm very excited about that. I do want to ask you, though, um, real quickly, when you finished the game, did you completely max out your character and your weapon or what? how did you leave that? I was not maxed out. And even after finishing all of the side quests, I still have like three or four tears to my powers that i haven't finished yet and more gun levels to unlock and i am not in the mood to grind through like the stupid like go to the executive wing and kill three floating hiss with the shotgun like i don't want to do that to get those points so i'm a little bit perturbed that you're not really like able to level up everything without grinding excessively i think that's pretty annoying Okay, I was curious about that because I was getting a lot of different answers on that because I went through, played the game, did all the missions, did all the side quests. The only thing I haven't done is I didn't do a bunch of those timed missions and I didn't find the secret areas, which I said I, I didn't even know they even existed until after I beat the game. Um, and I did not, I still have one gun that needs its last power up and I, I still have three or four slots on one of my powers to level up. And I was really fucking annoyed because I like a figure if you do everything in the game, you should be able to get your points all the way up and you should be maxed out. But I was talking to people who said they had like tons, like 13 and 15 points left over. They didn't have a use for and people who were like surprised that I didn't max everything out. And I'm like, I don't understand how I'm playing so differently than you. I'm doing the exact same thing. It's not like I can just grind forever. Maybe they, maybe they did grind forever. I don't know. But like, 
Uh, it was like a lot of people had surplus and I didn't even have enough. So that was really weird. I'm not going to stress about it. Uh, maybe that when the DLC comes out, I'll just naturally pick up those extra things and finish up. But I would have liked to have finished it off. That was kind of a bummer. Um, anyway, uh, one other thing. We haven't really talked about it, but there's one particular mission that I think is a standout uh, that most people point to is probably the best mission in the game. I don't know if you agree or not, because I think a lot of these missions are really cool. Uh, but it was a highlight, the ashtray maze. You know the ashtray maze? <laughs> oh, of course I do. Of course you do. Did you think this... Tell us briefly what it is, and did you think it was the best mission in the game? Um, I, I don't think it was the best mission in the game, but I did think it was really cool because the ashtray maze is kind of the section of the Bureau where you kind of enter it and it kind of looks like kind of like an art deco hotel type area. I mean, would you say that's kind of accurate? I mean, I think so. Yeah. I'm not up on my architectural phases. I am not the expert, <laughs> but I would, I would, I would say that probably and hope that I was right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's basically what I'm doing right now. Um, anybody listening, correct us if we're wrong, but it's got this kind of like wallpapered vibe, um, kind of like, you know, fifties ish, forties ish flavor going on. And, uh, and you basically like have to the thing that I did not like about this mission that I is that I didn't realize what you had to do to unlock the mission. I went to the maze and the doors kept the walls kept closing in on me and I was like, what the fuck do I have to do? And I didn't realize that you had to go get the headphones from the janitor. Like I had to literally had to look it up online to figure out how to do it because I either missed the signal in the game that told me that or I was just dumb or I didn't realize it. But once I got that, you go through this sort of like area and basically it's just this kind of like wild combat scenario where Jesse is like super powered and like is like nearly invincible and can kill things with like one or two shots and the world is just like morphing around you and all of these walls are popping up out of nowhere and it's like these giant platforming feats and you're like running along the sides of buildings and there's this like silly like rock music playing because a lot of Remedy games have this like Alan Wake had a specific moment where you're like in the middle of the woods when you come out of the cabin and like this rock song starts playing and like fireworks are going off and you're like shooting all these enemies, which in that game I thought was incredibly cheesy because like Alan Wake was trying to be really serious and like, I don't know, like, Ooh, serious spooky story. But, and that just really like went off the rails and felt really tone deaf to me, but like in control, it works a little bit because the world is already so bananas that it doesn't really feel that out of place. Um, but I did enjoy the mission. I thought it was pretty surreal and interesting. And I like when games do that thing where they kind of make you like super powered for a minute and just let you like go in and blow everybody away. I know like Splinter Cell Conviction, I think had a mission like that at, toward the end where you like can auto aim and kill everybody in one hit. And it just feels nice to like kind of take a step in a different direction. I don't know if it was my favorite, but I did think it was a pretty memorable experience. I thought it was pretty cool, definitely. Um, there was a point when they just straight up say, "Go get, go, go talk to the janitor to get his headphones." Like they do, there is a pop up that says that at some point, um, and I saw that, so I just went to go. I didn't even bother going in the hotel. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm sure this is going to be a crazy thing. I'll just go do and just get the headphones. Um, but you come back, and then yeah, I mean, the, the song kicks in, and it's like I don't know, some Norwegian hard rock or something death metal maybe who knows i don't know what genre it would be in but you know kicks in and like you know you're just going through and shooting stuff and it gets pretty psychedelic and i mean pretty cool pretty cool moment i thought it was really a good change of pace where they just turn the throttle up all the way and they're just like we're just going in just hard on this moment and it didn't last too long um and it was really interesting and a good again a good change of pace i think it's one of the things that remedy uh, remedy does good 
in control is they really have good mastery of the pace. Like they know when to put their foot on the gas. They know when to put their foot on the brake. And I feel like um, not only them doing it, but also giving me additional control on top of that really made for a, a really good balanced experience. Like I felt like it went at the pace I wanted it to go. And when they wanted to take me on this ride, I was in the mood to go on that ride. It didn't feel forced. It didn't feel like something that I didn't want to get through. So it was really cool. I like the ashtray maze a lot. I think we're probably going to be talking about that particular section for a while as a good example of a, an exciting uh, segment in a game. But overall, really like that. Um, I feel like we've talked about control a lot. Are we missing anything? Is there something we need to bring up? I, this is probably a good time to just like open the floodgates and have any kind of any topic, anything at all. <laughs> anything that you want to throw out there before we bring it home? Because I'm trying to I'm trying to think what I would want to talk about. Anything left for you? Um, the the last thing I can think of is um, I I didn't and I'm only asking this because you were paying more attention to the story than I was and I probably missed it, but. There's several sequences in the game where you get transported to this, like, cabin hotel area. And I did not understand the significance of that. And maybe I missed something or wasn't paying attention or missed a document or whatever. But were you able to connect the dots between those, like, hotel sequences and the rest of the game? Yeah, they talk about that hotel as just being a place as kind of like a dimensional nexus where it's just like a place where multiple realities converge. And they mentioned it a few times, but they're just like, oh, you know, this is a place that's kind of at the center of all things. And so if you go to this place and open these doors, it just, it's just like a pathway to like other realities. So it's just like a place where they use as a shortcut to get to other other dimensions, other zones or whatever. So, I mean, that's all it was. It was just like a, a convenient way to kind of warp drive you around the map if they needed to get you somewhere or if they needed to bring in some other element. It was just kind of like a nexus. So I thought okay. it was, yeah, just kind of an interesting little little odd thing i don't know if it was a specific reference to anything but just in the in the fiction of the game i felt like they just covered it pretty well they're like oh you know you pull the light switch and people disappear and they appear somewhere else and there are these doors and each one connects up to these other places and we can't open some and this one goes to the board because we know the board i mean they kind of go into it a little bit but it's just basically just like a if you need to get from a to j and you don't want to go through all the letters in between go to the motel and you can shortcut (laughs) your way there so that was about okay. it. Okay, I, I thought it might have had some significance to like Jesse's specific past, or maybe a place that she and her brother went, or something. No, so no. I was kind of looking for that, but never mind. Nothing like that. It was just like on its own. It's just like, I guess the entire hotel is like an altered item where it just has these connections to other dimensions. That's all. Okay, good. See, this is why I need you around because I don't pay attention to stuff, and then I can just be like, "Hey, what did this mean?" And you just know right then, and I can ask you. It's so funny too because usually you know you're the walking sim guy you're the guy who likes to root through people's shit you're the guy who likes to read those documents and in this case we totally flipped i mean i didn't read as as all of them but i read like a lot more than you did i think uh, before i lost my patience eventually but usually you're the guy who reads that stuff i'm surprised that like none of the stuff connected with you well i think in this game specifically like and maybe i can't remember if i said this or not when we talked about it a couple weeks ago but like if the game presents itself as like a very like story forward game that doesn't really have a lot of like action or combat, then I'm like over the moon to explore the story. Like something that comes to mind for me is maybe like what remains of Edith Finch or like uh, dear Esther or something where it's like the game is like all story and it's all well-written and it's interesting. And like the gameplay informs the story. But when you hand me a game that is sort of like, packaged in as like a third person action game i tend to just go in like maybe not caring about the story as much or maybe the story has to do a little extra work to like 
get me in. Um, and I, I just, like, I don't... If the game is like, hey, here's this third-person action game where you're going to be fighting dudes and exploring this world, like, I don't want to stand around and read things, so I don't. Like, I picked up a ton of the... Um, you know, audio and, uh, and like, books and stuff in the game, but I never... I think I read the first, like, three that I picked up, and then I was like, okay, this is not interesting. Like, I didn't come to the game for the story, and the story and dialogue at the beginning didn't present itself well enough for me to want to follow through on reading all this stuff, so I just stopped. But if the game is, like, full-on, like, hey, this game is, like, 90% story, then... I'm all in on like exploring every nook and cranny, but I just, I didn't come to this game for it. And I was not intrigued by what was going on enough to like want to sit down and read everything. Okay. That's fair. That's totally fair. Um, I guess the only question remaining on my mind, and we should probably wrap up after this. Um, what do you want to see for the future of this game? We know for a fact, we have at least two DLCs coming. Um, I feel like this has been a big hit for remedy. I'm not sure they thought it was going to be as big a hit as it is, but I feel like it's been really well received. And I think that maybe they were caught a little bit by surprise by how successful it's been. But everybody I've talked to, almost everybody has really liked this game a lot and definitely more than they thought. I think we were all kind of expecting another one of those humdrum kind of like shooter hallway slogs that Remedy has done in the past. Um, But they really, whatever happened, whoever they hired, whatever editor they got on board, whatever changed at Remedy, something changed. And they're like on a whole new level right now. So for you... What would you like to see from the DLC, or what would you like to see from the future of this uh, this franchise? Well, for the DLC, I would like to see... Um, I think it would be smart if they kept the DLC sort of contained in the Bureau building. However, like you said earlier, because the Bureau is so weird and they can do anything they want with it, I would love for it to be like oh, suddenly the central elevator, there's a new floor that we haven't seen. And just like a new floor like materializes and you can like go to a new area within the bureau. I mean, I feel like surely that's got to be what they're working on. Because if they if they stage it somewhere we've already been in the bureau, it's going to be way less interesting. So I'm hoping that they keep it in the building, but they just unlock a new floor or a new wing or a new like place to go. Um and don't take you completely out of the Bureau into, like, its own separate entity dimension somewhere. Like, I want it to be in the building, but a new floor, a new wing, something like that. I'm totally cool with it if it's just more combat and more exploration, because if they keep up the combat and the sort of environmental design that they have now and just give me more of it, I would be pretty okay with that. I mean, maybe if they introduce, like, a new gun or a new superpower or something like that would be fine, but I don't think I necessarily need that. Um, but I hope it is in like a new wing of the Bureau itself. That's probably the biggest thing I'm looking for. Okay. I totally am on board with that as well. Um, I think that could easily be explained in the fiction without anybody blinking twice at it. I mean, they could, a new door appear somewhere and you could go anywhere you want to, and it would totally make sense because of how they set it up, which I think is great. Um, I mean, I would be down for that. I'm not, I mean, to be, to be honest with you, I really kind of don't care what happens to Dylan. I mean, if he stays in a coma forever, that's fine. But I feel like <laughs> we're going to come back to it. Um, but I would like to just like, just go on more missions. Like if they put out kind of like, hey, there's weird reports of uh, something happening in Michigan and there's a weird report of something in California. Like if you went to, uh, maybe not for this DLC, but maybe for the future, like maybe, you know, Jesse goes on field, field missions or something like that. I think that would be cool. I mean, there's all sorts of options um, that you could do like all sorts of weird items, new dimensions she could explore. I mean, basically anything could go. So I think definitely for the DLC, I would like to see a new floor of the building 
And then for the future, I would like to see, you know, not necessarily take it into like open world, full open world status, but, you know, she could easily investigate a haunted house or a haunted uh, factory, or she could go to some weird location and, you know, branch outside the, the bureau a little bit once the hiss get dealt with. Um, in terms of mechanics, I don't necessarily, I'm not really sure that I want her to get like a billion new powers because I feel like the loadout she's got has, is pretty good already. Like she's pretty well-rounded character. Uh, and I feel like the number of powers you have is pretty manageable for when you get in those firefights. Like, it's it's hot and heavy. But I never felt, like, super overwhelmed or, like, like, I didn't remember which button to push. Like, I felt like it was all pretty well balanced and all came together. I mean, I might, I might like the ability to maybe swap one or two of the powers out. I didn't use the shield very much. Um, so maybe I would want to change that for something else. But I think in general she's a great character and I wouldn't want her to be changed too much. But I would really like a radial menu for the gun. If everything could pause and bring up the menu and you could flip through all of the forms of the gun rather than just two that's the biggest thing that i would like because there were a lot of situations where i was like oh i really want to use this other gun but i don't want to hit like the the you know the the whatever the touchpad and then bring up the menu or something just like something that you could do a little bit quicker in the heat of battle maybe just pause for a second switch gun and then just keep going would make a lot of sense to me but uh it sounds like we're on the same page basically yeah, I think so. And I do agree with you about the radial menu thing. Um, that would be easy. But I found myself over the, over the course of the game, much like you, I didn't really use the shield like ever. I was dodging and throwing stuff at people all the time. And and I really only, I used the pistol version and like the shotgun version of the gun the most. And everything else, I didn't, re- I used the little like submachine gunny type thing a little bit, but like the grenade launcher thing, the kind of sniper rifle type gun, the like one that shoots like the three missile things like i didn't really use those um but i do yeah. think that a radial menu would be helpful i i played exactly the same way i barely used the shield at all there was one particular enemy type that i found the shield to be very useful and i think there was one boss where i thought the shield was pretty useful but outside of those two instances i don't think i ever used it and i did stick with normal pistol and shotgun for like 90 percent of the game those were just like the two go-to's and nothing else really seemed as effective or as as good to use. So maybe, I don't know, maybe they could develop the other forms of the gun a little bit more to give me more reason to use those. Um, not necessarily that specific weapons would be immune to your shotgun or something, but just, you know, like the grenade launcher didn't seem very powerful, and the, the sniper rifle, or the sniper gun, just, it didn't do, like, I don't know, I just didn't feel like it was strong enough for, like, when I was using it in bosses and stuff. I was like, eh, whatever. Uh, so maybe they could tweak those a little bit, but overall, I think we just want more of Jesse. Man, that seems to be pretty clear. <laughs> yes, just give us more, please, and that'll be enough. All right, cool, cool, cool. Well, uh, I feel like we've really rooted around in control, and I think we've touched on a lot of topics. I don't think I have anything else to discuss. Anything left on your plate? Um, I absolutely know there's more stuff to discuss, but I also feel like we should probably bring the show to a close because we've been talking about this very, very at length. Absolutely. Yeah, we can't do another Hitman episode for sure. So uh, I feel like we've done it justice. I think the takeaway is that this is probably Remedy's best game ever. Would you agree with that? I I don't know. I really like Max Payne and Max Payne 2, but I feel like if I went back and played them today, I would probably think the control is better. All right. Well, I'm surprised, but you got a good couple votes for Max Payne. I don't like Max Payne at all. I've never liked it, and I definitely would say that Control is Remedy's best. So, but but regardless, we both have really enjoyed it. It's not every game that we devote an entire episode to. It's not an entire game that we go back and 
and play more of after we roll credits. So I think all that other stuff aside, I think the bottom line is we we both really had a good time with Control, despite liking it for different reasons. Um, and I am definitely looking forward to playing more of it. Me too. And I hope that the developers at Remedy are thrilled that we spent a show and a half talking about their game. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, all right, I'm done, man. If you're done, I say let's bring it home. Absolutely. I could not agree more. So thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. Um, I'm only like half sorry that we only talked about a single game on the show. But if you want to hear us talk about some more stuff, there is some banter after the show. Uh, Brad talks about some movies. I talk about a recent trip to Atlanta and some other stuff that we both have going on. Um, So if you want to hear that, you can stick around after tonight's music to hear that banter. Um, If you want to dip and come back next week uh we will be back uh in the meantime you can send us any thoughts any comments any feedback any ideas any games you want us to play any feedback on control if you've played it if you agree with some stuff we said if you disagree what have you you can send it to us in a few different ways the first way is via email our email address is sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com spelled exactly the way it sounds You can also comment on the Game Critics website whenever the show goes up there. There's a comment section underneath every single show. We are also on Twitter as a collective show. Our Twitter handle is at SoVideoGames. And last but not least, and perhaps the most efficient way to get a hold of us, is by contacting us on our individual social media handles. Brad, would you like to give out yours? You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, same handle for both. It's my name, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y. All A's, no O's. Excellent. And mine are also my first and last name. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, it is Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. And that is it for episode 148. Uh, Brad, do you have any final thoughts before we sign off? No, that's it. Thanks for coming along uh, on this deep dive journey of control. <laughs> Hopefully you've played it. Hopefully you've enjoyed this chat. Um, but if you didn't, we will talk about something completely different next time. It's true. We will. Um, and next time will be episode 149. This is the end of 148. And we will be back next week with a new show. But until then, this is a bye from Corey. And bye from Brad. We'll see you then. Excellent. So as we always start off the banter, it feels like it's been a million years since we recorded. We got to say that contractually obligated to say that every time. It feels like it's been a million years since we recorded. It's true. Uh, it has been a little while, though, because you went away for the weekend. And so we've been kind of in a groove of weekend recording lately, but not this weekend. Where did you go, sir? What did you do? Well, I went to back to Atlanta, which is the only place I ever go. Um, there was a big parkour competition there um and i because i'm so like bougie or whatever i flew there and back with uh, my friends ian and brandon um and it like the last time we went to atlanta we flew but it was me and ian and my friend levi and we were kind of nervous but it ended up being like working out like basically the best way it possibly could like we flew in um, we used Ian used some app where the flight the round trip flight was only like a hundred dollars, so it was really cheap. And 
Plus the flight from here to Atlanta is only like an hour and a half max. And so we flew in, um, our friend Julian that we stay with picked us up and then took us back to the airport. And pretty much the same thing happened this time. Um, the only difference is that Julian had moved apartments since the last time we were there. And so we flew in, the flight was perfect. Um, we he picked us up at the airport we went to their new place uh julian and his girlfriend elena and their new place is really great and um and for some reason like i don't know what it is about us but for some reason like julian always gives us like vip treatment at his like whenever we stay over like he always makes sure like the couches or the spare bedroom or the futon or like kind of like whatever like comfiest extra sleeping space he has is like reserved for the new orleans people and then everybody else who wants to come over, he's just like, fuck you, you can sleep on the floor. And that's pretty much exactly how it went. Like my, me and Levi <laughs> and his girlfriend Bree, they drove in and we stayed in the spare bedroom, the three of us. And then Ian had an air mattress in the living room and then Brandon slept on one of the couches and then everybody else just kind of like, there was like one couch left and then everybody just kind of like crashed on the floor. Like some people brought air mattresses, some people brought sleeping bags and stuff like that. And um, and it was really good. It was like a three-day parkour comp. We got in on Friday. I took Friday off. We got in really early Friday morning. Our flight left at like 6.30 in the morning. So we had to be at the airport at like, I think I left to go to the airport at like five o'clock in the morning. And then we flew in and um, there were a shitload of people there. I was not expecting that many people to show up for the comp, but I guess the Atlanta community, I mean, like I know it's good, but every time I'm just always surprised whenever I go back because this time around, like, we went um, from New Orleans. There were people from Florida there. There were people from North Carolina there. There were people from Tennessee. There were other people from um, slightly uh, like different communities in Georgia. Like the Columbus people were out there, which is about an hour to two hours away from Atlanta. So it was just like this huge gathering of parkour athletes. And I got to see some people that I haven't seen in like a year and a half and just catch up with everybody. I got to meet some new people that I've kind of been following on Instagram for a while, but we had never met in real life and photographed them. And uh, they did a few different comps. They did a speed comp, a skill comp, and a, and a style comp um, over two days. And um, it was just a lot of fun. Like it was um, just nice to see everybody. It was nice to see everybody compete. Um, my friend Ian, who's like probably one of the best athletes in this like quarter of the United States. Um, he did some pretty big, he didn't compete in anything cause he's, he's a little bit injured right now, but he, he's still like able enough to train a little bit. And he did some pretty big jumps at the gym and got like this parkour athlete who competes like worldwide, who has almost like 500,000 followers on Instagram started following him the other day. So like that was kind of a big deal for him. Um, cause he's like an athlete that he really looks up to. Um, and so it was, yeah, it was really good. I pretty much the only sustenance I put in my body the entire weekend was like alcohol and weed. So um, <laughs> Joshua, just, just, just BT dubs, not sustenance. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, Joshua Jackson, if you're listening, I do have more weed stories coming up because I know he was particularly interested in my body's reaction to weed. Um, but it was, it was a good weekend. Like it was just... Every like every time I go to Atlanta, it's like everything goes off without a hitch. We never have any problems, whether we fly or we drive, and everything just worked out so well. And I had a very good time. And now I just want to drop everything I'm doing and move to Atlanta immediately and just live there for the rest of my life. That is a thing that could happen. It could be Corey in Hotlanta. I mean, all things are possible right now. It's true. I could be there. Um, who knows? We'll see what happens. But um, 
yeah, it was a good, it was a good weekend. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Now, are you going to segue into crazy weed story, or what else do you have lined up on your on your banter banter docket today? <laughs> well, I mean, I guess I can talk a little bit about the weed situation because I did. I smoked like kind of a lot while I was there this weekend because uh, Julian, the guy we stay with. He is kind of like, he has one of those like vape pen things, but he has like some kind of THC weed thing in it. I don't know how it all works, but so it's essentially like weed, but in like a vape pen situation. Yeah, yeah, those are all the rage up here. Everybody's got one tucked in their pocket. Yes. And then uh, his friend Jay, who lives with them, um, is he has this, he has like the same one, but he also just smokes like weed weed like blunts or joints or whatever the kids call it these days and so i was on a healthy mix of like going back and forth between both of those and like as soon as we got to atlanta i knew i wanted to take a nap because i was only running on like two and a half hours of sleep and i had flown in and we had driven it takes like probably like 45 minutes to drive from the airport to julian's place and as soon as we got there like julian always just kind of like is smoking and then he like offers up his like vape thing to anybody and so i was like of course yes and um i've discovered that if i take two and this probably gonna make me sound like a weak ass if i take like two deep inhales off of it that's like a little bit too much to start with and so i need to take one and then like maybe wait like 30 minutes or 45 minutes and like see what happens and then take another one because i took two inhales probably within like a 10 minute window and started feeling pretty high like probably within those like 10 or 15 minutes and then I started experiencing like sort of like the same like time dilation situation that I was talking about the last time I talked about it where like and I mean (laughs) oh my god you wake up when there was like dinosaurs around and you time travel back to earth's past not quite like that but it was just like the kind of situation where like how before I had mentioned like how I couldn't quite keep up with, like, what was happening in the current moment. And I would, like, hear something and then, like, kind of forget it happened. And then I would, like, remember it happened. And then I would hear something else. And then, I don't know, it was just weird. It's just a very weird sensation. And so I kind of took a nap, like, after that. And then I woke up and I was pretty sober by the time I woke up. And then we went out to train a Friday night. And then Saturday, both Friday, later Friday night and Saturday night, I smoked more. And there was one point on Saturday, for some reason I always do this, whether it's with that, when I'm drinking, because I mean, I drink, I don't want to say a lot, but like most of my like contraband time is drinking because I've only smoked maybe like five or six times at this point. Um, every, Every time I do this, whether it's drinking or whether it's smoking, I like will get inebriated and then I will have this like weird fear that I'm gonna like sober up too quickly And then I'm like, oh, well, I better, like, start drinking another beer because I don't want to sober up too fast, even though I'm, like, not in danger of sobering up too quickly. It it happens every goddamn time. It's not like the bends, dude. You're not going to get, like, nitrogen bubbles in your bloodstream from sobering up. (laughs) It's so stupid. And so I kind of did the same thing, like, this weekend where, like, I was, like, smoking and then I was, like, kind of sobering up a little bit and I was, like oh, well, like, maybe I shouldn't. And then, like, Jay lit another blunt and was, like, passing it around the room. And I was like, well, I mean, while I'm here, because I don't want to sober up too fast. And then, like, I proceeded to get even more high. And I basically just, like, was sitting in a chair at the the bar, uh, at at their apartment, not like a restaurant bar, but um, at their uh, place. And I just kind of felt like I was, like, 
melting into the chair that I was sitting in. (laughs) Tell me why you get high again, because like none of this sounds good. Literally none of this sounds pleasant at all. Why are you smoking, dude? (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. I almost prefaced the story by saying I'm going to tell you the stuff and I know that you're going to ask why I'm even doing it. Oh my god. I mean, please tell me. (laughs) I, I think it's just like it's just because, like, the experience is so strange. And, like, I don't have that experience a lot. So, like, every once in a while, I'm like, okay, if the weed is here, then, like, sure, like, I guess I'll try it. Because, like, maybe it'll be different this time. And then it's, like, never different. I mean, that being said, I've only smoked, like, a handful of times. But, like, I, the last time I smoked, I did not feel the I'm melting into wherever I'm sitting situation. I was just experiencing a lot, experiencing a lot of like the time dilation stuff. But this time around, I was sitting at the bar and I was just basically like pretty tired. And I think I speak really quietly whenever I'm a high too, because I distinctly remember like saying a couple of things and everybody leaning in and being like, what? Like, what did you say? And then I would like try to speak. <laughs> and, and then I felt like I was just like melting. And it was just such a, I don't know, it's such a strange experience and i i mean i don't know that i would really like recommend it to people but because it happens so i mean i'm sure if i smoked like every day which i don't ever think that would be a thing because i have no interest in like trying to buy weed for myself from somebody i usually just like smoke if i'm at a place and somebody has it and they're offering it but it's it's just like such a rare occurrence that every time i do it i'm like oh well like i wonder how it'll feel this time and then it feels pretty much the same as it does the last time. And I don't know if it will ever feel any different, but it's, I mean, it's like, I don't know. I think I need to do a better job of like pacing. Like I said earlier, like taking like one hit and then just like waiting a little while, because if I go do too much too fast, then I start to like, like, I wouldn't say panic, but I just feel like a little too strange. And then I'm like, wow, why did I do this? And then I started to sober up a little bit. And then I'm like, okay, like, this is fine. And I've been told by people that I need to just, like, lean into the feeling of, like, when I feel strange. Just be like, all right, I'm on board. Like, this is how I feel. But I wonder also if it feels like sort of like whenever people have, like, panic attacks or anxiety attacks. Because I've heard people say before that, like, something... And and I've never had a panic attack, so I can't, like, speak with any confidence on this, but I've heard people who have anxiety and depression say that, like, sometimes whenever they're experiencing panic attacks, they have to just, like, tell their body, like, okay, this is not ideal, but I realize this is what's happening, and I need to just know that this is temporary, and I need to, like, lean into it and let it pass, and then eventually my panic attack will pass, and then I can kind of reflect on this. And I sort of feel that way about being high. Like, I get high, and I'm like okay, this feels a little strange, but I need to just lean in and realize that this is what's happening. And eventually I won't feel like this anymore. And I, I don't know, like, I can't really like super duper justify it, but it's just kind of like a win in Rome situation. Like when I'm around a bunch of people that are smoking, like, I guess I will do it. And nobody's pressuring me into it, but I'm just like, okay, yeah, I'll try it. And then it always just feels the same and it feels weird, but it's not so weird that I don't enjoy it, but it's like just weird enough for like the rare occurrences that I'm in those situations for me to be like, okay, I guess I'll try this again. And then there I am. I mean, maybe you're just not a drug guy. It doesn't doesn't sound like you 
enjoy your time? Like, you literally turn into, like, a whispering amoeba when you smoke up. Like, you lose the bones in your body, you're a pile of melted flesh, you're burbling and people can't understand what you're saying, and then you travel through time. None of that sounds good because, I mean, at the very least, you could have, like, killed, you know, Trump's grandfather when you were back there in history, but you didn't do that. So, like, you know, like, it sounds like you have, like, these bad trips every time. And I'm just thinking that maybe... Maybe you're just not a weed guy. Maybe you're like a, a whiskey guy or maybe you're a, uh, a something else. Or maybe you're just like just a guy. Maybe you're just like a nothing guy. Who knows? You know, like uh, I don't do anything. Um, and like when I go to parties or when I'm around people, I have like everybody like everybody in Seattle fucking smokes weed, dude. Like right now, ever since it got <laughs> um, legally approved, literally every motherfucker on earth has like a weed vape pen or they're smoking when they're walking down the street. Like weed constantly. My son is 10 and he can identify the smell of marijuana from like a thousand yards away because we're never more than a thousand yards away from someone smoking fucking marijuana. (laughs) And it's like, uh, so everybody, everybody smokes, right? But I don't smoke at all. And I don't, you know, if if you want to smoke or people want to smoke, I don't care. That's your business. Like, you know, don't blow it in my face or anything. But like, if you want to smoke, I don't give a shit, but I don't want to smoke. And like, when I go to parties or when I go around people who are smoking and they're like, oh, you want some? I'm like, no, I'm good. And they're like, cool. Like, nobody ever pressures me. And I just am like, yeah, I don't want to smoke. And, like, they don't care because it's just more drugs for them. And they smoke up and they don't want to share anyway. So it's like maybe you're just the guy who shows up and just chills and everybody's smoke. And maybe you take a little bit of, like, secondhand marijuana just from sitting around and you're just, you know, you're in the cloud, you know. But maybe you're not smoking up. Maybe your brain just is trying to tell you, like, please stop because I can't, I don't want to do this anymore. It never sounds good, dude. <laughs> or maybe next time I'll just be like, hmm, maybe I'm a cocaine guy. Maybe I'm a meth guy. Let's... <laughs> I purposely veered away from it because I didn't want to say that and I felt like I was heading down that path. And I stopped myself because I do not recommend you going down that path. I would, just... I would, first of all, I would never, just so we're clear on that. I would never. <laughs> maybe you were just like, you're like the pastrami on rye guy. You just bring your own sandwich and like people smoke up. You bust out a sandwich. Maybe that's what you do. Maybe oh you just like, maybe you just tweet when people are smoking. I don't know, dude. I just like, these stories are hilarious and they're crazy to me because <laughs> you, you know, I never hear you be like, oh man, it was like the best. My consciousness expanded and I came back a better person and I understand life. You're always just like, oh, I couldn't tell what people were saying. and I lost track of time and <laughs> it just sounds like a bad X-Files episode or something. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I feel like when people have trips where they're like, life has changed, that's more of like an acid or mushrooms thing. And I've never done either of those. And I don't know if I ever would. Um, but I don't I don't know. I don't feel like people have life-changing experiences with weed. I it, Like, the weird thing for with weed for me is like, everyone that I know who smokes a lot, and I don't know if it's like, if there is such a thing as like an acquired taste of weed or whatever, but like, everyone who I know who smokes, they always seem to like, sort of like cite like, oh, well, it makes me feel relaxed and it makes me, like, feel really chilled out. And and it's sort of like how, like, CBD is, like, becoming a big thing right now because it's basically, like, weed without the weed. And people say, like, oh, well, CBD, it just helps me relax and it helps me calm down, but I don't necessarily get high. And, like, I don't ever feel... I mean, I, I wouldn't say that I feel calm when I smoke. I think it's because I'm so trying to be so alert like as to what my body's doing and trying to make sense of it and almost like trying to resist it in a way that it like doesn't that I don't feel relaxed um but I I don't know I mean I just I think it's because I keep thinking that like okay well maybe this time if I smoke I will actually feel relaxed this time and so far it's never happened and I don't 
know if it ever will, but you can bet your ass that I'm going to try every single time and it's never going to work. And I'm always going to wonder if it's going to work. Well, you know, I've talked to, um, so like in my line of work, I worked in, um, mental health for like 12 years and I've, I've done, um, drug treatment programs, not in them, but like I worked at them, um, as part of my job. And I've, you know, I've been around drugs for a long time. I've talked to like many addicts and stuff. And when it comes to weed, like I, you know, we, I meet a lot of people who are like, oh yeah, it's totally no big deal. It helps me relax. It's all good. It's all natural and shit. But like, honestly, like it doesn't really seem to do great things for anybody. Like it just does. It, it, it's not as damaging as like meth or anything. And like, <laughs> I don't think it's going to kill you. But like, I've never met somebody who like, seemed better to me on weed they just like kind of suppress the things that they have going on and then it comes raging back when they stop or like it makes their anxiety worse i've seen some people get paranoid on it or some people have like these weird like symptoms and stuff that happen and i just i just don't think that like it really does anything for people that they couldn't get done by doing other things like maybe like relaxation techniques or like fixing the problems in their life or like being honest with themselves or just you know like doing like changing things like you know, making life choices to relax yourself rather than just, like, going to this this weed, this drug, you know? Because, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, literally everybody smokes it, and most of the time when people say they need it or they want it or whatever. And, of course, I'm biased, right? Because I meet people who have problems already, so it's not like I'm meeting the high-powered CEO who's smoking weed or something. Or I mean, I probably do know some, but not in that context or whatever. But I just, I just I don't know, man. I mean, I, I don't smoke at all. I don't see a need for drugs. I don't meet people who I feel like are benefiting from drugs. I think that ultimately it's just like a way to get rid of things or suppress things that you don't want to deal with. Um, maybe people will disagree with that. I know a lot of people are just like, oh, you like to relax. I just like to chill. <laughs> well, why can't you chill without smoking up? I mean, if you can't chill without smoking, then maybe there's a problem that you need to solve. You know, like, why can't you just chill naturally on your own? But whatever. But th- th- aside from that, I- I've heard many times that if you don't smoke by the time that you're a teenager, you likely will not acquire the taste for it, and you will probably not be a heavy smoker later on in life, even if you start. I think it's one of those things where, you know, you you develop the taste for it early on, and then it becomes integrated into your body chemistry, or your brain gets used to it, like when you're still growing and stuff. I mean, I, I don't think that somebody who is 40, who has never smoked before, and starts smoking will become like a total pothead. I think they just probably won't have the taste for it, so... You're probably not going to fall, you know, into like a deep like addiction cycle or anything like that. But uh, (laughs) I don't know. Maybe your brain is just like, yeah, not not for me. Perhaps. I guess what you're saying here is really I'm just too old to appreciate weed. That's fine, Brad. I get it. I get it. I mean, I didn't want to say it straight (laughs) out like that. But since you did. Oh, anyway. All right, man. What else you got cooking? What else you been doing? What else is happening? Um, Well, the last little bit for me is um, another uh, parkour related stories. So there's a like th- there's a magazine in the parkour space that is kind of new. Well, I don't really know if it's new or not. It's called Move Mag, but it's M U V and the U has like the little dots above it cuz it's like I don't know, like cool or whatever. And it's been a website for a long time and it's just kind of like a parkour blog. And I don't know if they used to have a magazine a long time ago. But they recently launched a a magazine, or maybe they relaunched it or whatever, probably about two or three months ago. And um, I bought the first issue of it because I wanted to support, um, you know, the scene, as it were. Um, And it was really expensive, though. The magazine was like $35 for one issue, um, which is like absolutely bananas. But it's also like printed on like incredible paper. And I don't really think... 
a lot of people that are making it are like getting paid. I think it's like three people that work on it. And I don't really think, I think like all of the money is literally going toward like just printing it and distributing it. Um, and I got the first issue a while back and I thought it was fine. Um, it's nice to have a magazine out there that's sort of, sort of like the thrasher for skateboarding is maybe like what move mag is for parkour. And plus there's like no real magazines that like represent parkour out there. And uh, whenever I was at the jam over the weekend, I met two of the guys who work on it. Um, one of them is named Colton and the other guy is named Barrett, but he goes by Bear. And Bear and I hit it off pretty well over the weekend. And I ha- I didn't even know who he was before we went there. And then I met him and he was cool. And then I learned that he worked on Move Mag. And um, I've been sending him some pictures and stuff. And I was asking him some questions about like production and like how the magazine goes and everything uh, while I was there. And... Uh, he, oh, I was like sending him some stuff the other day, just, uh, some pictures that I had taken over the jam and he like messaged me back on Instagram and he was like, Oh, well, if you, if you want to be like in move mag, I can make sure that happens. And I was like, okay. So I think, um, I'm going to try to, uh, I guess send, I'm trying to work out like the perfect pitch for them right now, because I know that my photos will be able to go in move mag probably no matter what. Um, but I'm going to try to write like a story to go along with it um, that's more than just a photo spread. And I think I'm going to try to write basically a story about like an, an essay, if you will, about sort of how parkour has like affected my life and about how when I started training and then when I got out of training and how um, the guy that I met from training in Omaha or in Columbia, I mean, I ended up being like the best man for his wedding, which I think is always a great story because um, we literally met through parkour and then I we became such good friends that I was the best man for his wedding and Um, And then, like, sort of transition into, like, how I became a photographer and sort of talk about that and maybe sort of, like, use the photos that I've taken over my, I don't want to say career, because that makes me sound really, like, I don't know, pretentious, but just, like, over my time as a photographer as a spread in the magazine. And I'm just, like, really pumped because, like, I, like, (laughs) my bachelor's degree is, like, literally in magazine journalism with an editing emphasis, and I have done zero magazine work since I graduated from college. Like, I've obviously written a lot. Like, I've written for you at Game Critics. I've written um, a lot of blogs for myself, but I've never really done like serious writing like this. And so I, it's just weird because it's like a culmination of like what I went to college for, plus my photography skills that I developed afterward and Bear pretty much like already guaranteed like, hey, if you want to be in the magazine, we'll put you in the magazine. And so now I'm like really pumped, but I'm also really scared because I have to like really like try to show my best work and try to write something that's really appealing. And I haven't written anything serious in a long time. So I don't know. It's one of those things that I'm going to want to sit on until it's perfect for the longest time. But I know that that's not a realistic thing to do. You just have to write it until it's good enough and put it out there. Because if you sit around and edit it and wait for perfection, you're never going to finish it. So I need to kind of get on my life has been very busy right now but that's something that I need to get on top of and um yeah I'm just really excited because the magazine is cool it's like a big format magazine the paper's really nice and I just finally like will like I've always thought about pitching to move mag but I just never have and now they're basically like hey we'll put you in it and I'm very excited about that I just need to get my shit together and work on my pitch and write my story and do the eight million other things you have to do whenever it comes to writing for a magazine and then maybe one day I'll be in it. Excellent. Well, that is a great opportunity. I love that to hear that doors are opening up for you and that you're 
kind of making your mark in this thing that you love to do. Um, you know, and you know that that phrase, uh, "perfect is the enemy of the good." I mean, that's you know, that's it's so true. Like, if you wait around for something perfect, you're never going to get nothing done. So you got to at least get something out there and do your best and just roll. It's better to have something that's pretty good than to never have anything that's perfect. So, yeah, man, I say just go for it. Get something down. Just, just, just get out there and make your mark and you know whatever you do the next thing you do will inevitably be better anyway because that's just how life works but you got to start somewhere and i mean awesome i mean i would totally uh track down a copy of this magazine once you get in it and i'll uh, give it a look-see i gotta <laughs> ask you though so it's a magazine about parkour stuff i gotta say this is gonna sound totally fucking nerdy but the first oh, thing i thought of was that you would flip the pages like a flip book to see people doing parkour moves because it's a magazine <laughs> about parkour do they do that do they do flip book animation please tell me they do uh, not in the magazine, but that is maybe something worth exploring for it. When you get your stuff in there, you pitch that to them. You can have that idea for free. Just say, you know, we got to do like a little flip book art. Just put it in the corner. People read the articles. When they're done, they flip through and see people doing sick moves. It would be pretty cool. That's actually like a really good idea. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You just in- <laughs> improved their brand by like 35% right there, dude. Pitch oh that article God. and you're, you're, uh, you're good to go. Excellent. I will, uh, maybe I'll have to see what they say about that. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> All right, man. All right. Uh, you got anything else or is, is that good? I have exhausted my banter. So what do you have going on? Excellent. I don't have a lot going on. I have like three movies to talk about, um, that I will, that, that I will, that I will discuss. I do have just one really brief story. Um, I do not tolerate spiders in my home very often. Ooh. How are you with spiders in your home, Corey? I... Oh my god, I can't, I don't like spiders at all, and then when I moved to Louisiana, the thing that I, I I discovered that the only thing I hate worse than spiders now is giant cockroaches, because those are a thing here, but spiders, I I can't, like, if they're, like, really tiny, or, like, really wispy, and maybe they're, like, high up on a wall or on the ceiling, I don't really care about them, but if they're, like, of any girth and like on the floor (laughs) or on a table or like low on the wall, then I will usually try to like trap them and like throw them out in the yard. I rarely kill them because I don't want to have to clean up the mess they make. Um, But I will try to like trap them and take them outside. But yeah, spiders and cockroaches, they terrify me. I hate both of those things. Uh, I hate, I would, I hate cockroaches more than I hate spiders but I hate them both uh, a lot, and I don't tolerate either one of those things. Luckily, I have only lived in one place uh, that had cockroaches. In case anybody doesn't know, Hawaii is filthy with cockroaches. Oh There's cockroaches, God. big ones, all over the place, dude. Literally every surface of Hawaii covered in cockroaches. I'm not even kidding. Oh, my God. Uh, I had no idea. What the hell? Oh, dude, they are the tropical kind, and they fly at nighttime. Oh, my God. They are under anything you lift up. So that was a nightmare and a half because I was not prepared for that when I moved there. Covered. Covered in fucking cockroaches. Also, since we're talking about it, every house in Hawaii has ants. With no exception. You could be the richest guy on Hawaii. Your house has ants. Garen fucking teed. <laughs> and if you live in the woodsy side of the island, centipedes the size that you have never seen. Oh, Giant. no. I, I, don't know, I don't know if I ever told this story, but... Friends and I were renting a cabin on uh, the windward side of Oahu one time, which is the the wet the wetter side. <laughs> and uh, man, we we rented a cabin. We rented a cabin, and we slept there, hanging out. The next morning, there was a centipede in the house. It was the 
biggest fucking centipede. I mean, I'm trying to, I mean, literally like it was like, like a foot long, dude, like at least a foot long. It was enormous. So big that you could hear its footsteps when it was walking on the tile floor. You could hear it. You could hear the little, like the legs going. That's disgusting. I freaked out. I put on my uh, flip-flops or slippers as they're called in Hawaii, jumped on that fucking thing, and it was not injured. It did not get hurt. It didn't smush. It like laughed at me and it kept on going. My weight at the time, I mean, I'm heavier now. I mean, just full disclosure, older (laughs) and heavier. Uh, But at that time, I was probably like, you know, 140. Didn't phase it, dude. Didn't kill it. Didn't injure it. It was fine. Uh, I had to like scoop it up in a frying pan and throw it out because I couldn't kill the fucker. And I was really afraid it was going to bite me, dude, because that big, it was, it was huge. And it was fast. And like, it looked really like something you didn't want to mess with. Okay. Anyway. Heads up, if you go to Hawaii, there's all sorts of evil shit in Hawaii. Not I'm the never, point of my story. I'm not never going to Hawaii now, ever. I mean, I don't really recommend it, but whatever. <laughs> uh, not the reason I brought this up. We're getting off track. Uh, so, spiders. Spiders is why I brought this up. So, I don't tolerate spiders in my house. Um, I have gotten more mellow about them lately, but I still don't tolerate them. And I'm kind of of the mindset of, like, look, you keep out of sight. You don't crawl on me. I'm not going to come looking for you, and we'll just <laughs> we're just going to call it good. <laughs> But if you crawl across my fucking carpet in the middle of the night, or I mean, you know, when I'm out here, or if you're in, if you're like perched on my keyboard or something, I can't tolerate that shit. Or if you're somewhere where like you're near me, I can't deal. Like this is my house. Your house is the entire rest of the earth outside. You have <laughs> way more living space than I do, motherfucker. I just have like a thousand square feet. You got the entire earth. Like get the fuck out of here. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. I don't tolerate them in my space, but. It's been summer. I mean, we're kind of getting to the end of summer here. Summer's over. But in summer, we like we like to eat a lot of fruit. My son is a fruit monster. He'll eat all sorts of fruit all day long. He loves fresh fruit. And so we tend to buy a lot of fruit. And I don't know if you have this problem, Corey, but when, when we buy a fresh fruit, you have fruit flies. Like, it just happens. Like, you buy a banana, you buy an apple or something, a peach, a nectarine, whatever. If you bring it in the house, like, the next day, you're going to have fruit flies. Is that a problem for you in, in, in Louisiana? Do you eat fruit? Has that ever happened to you? Um, I think um, here, I think it's more of like a gnat problem. I don't know how different fruit flies and gnats are, but I feel like I see more gnats and more termites here than like actual fruit flies. Okay. Well, we get a lot of fruit flies here and it's pretty bad. I don't know if it's something specific to Washington, but like it's it's fine. We won't have a fly in the house for like the entire winter because, you know, they're dead, wintertime, cold, whatever. Springtime, nothing will happen. But I swear to God, the first time I buy the first batch of nectarines or the first batch of just whatever that's fresh this season, motherfucking fruit flies. And they breed like so fast, dude. Like it's it is unreal how fast they breed. You go from like one fruit fly on Monday to having like 40 on Thursday. And it's like it's out of control. Right. So we have all sorts of fruit fly traps and like sticky, sticky tape and stuff. And we just it's like impossible to get rid of them. The only thing you can do is like to just stop eating fruit for like two weeks, but then my kid doesn't have fruit and it's like, he's bummed. And it's like, you know, you miss out on all the strawberries and all the raspberries and all the stuff that he likes that are only really available in summertime. And I don't feel like it's okay for him to miss out on that just because we have fucking stupid fruit flies. So whatever. Anyway, getting back to spiders. So I'm washing the dishes uh, in the kitchen and I notice that there is a fucking spider right above the sink, right where my head goes, right where I'm looking at. And I'm about to bring the wrath of heaven down upon him and I'm like, wait a minute. Okay, wait, wait, wait. He's he's one of those web guys that doesn't crawl around the house. He just stays in his web. 
It's right above the sink, which is really close to where we keep the fruit. There's a million fruit flies here. Okay, natural consequences. What if I leave this guy here and he just catches all the fruit flies? That might be a good thing. If he catches these flies for me, my opinion of him will improve. And I will not be <laughs> mad. I will not kill him. I will thank him for his service. And then when the fruit flies are gone, I'll go stick him outside or whatever. That's fine. So I'm like, okay, not going to kill him, which was my first instinct, but I'm going to let him do his job. And I'm going to just leave him there. And the wife was not happy about that at all but i talked about it with her and i'm like look you hate the fruit flies just as much as i do let's just leave the fl the spider and she's like fine but i'm not happy about it and that fucker better stay where he is or else i'm gonna like go ballistic so fine we leave him there i'm feeling hopeful i'm feeling like we have we, we're bridging the gap we're, we're creating peace between the arachnid and human kingdom a newfound partnership i'm like this might work out this might be good I let it go for like a day. I check his web. Eh, he hasn't caught anybody. And there's still like a shitload of flies here. Okay, not good. And I start to like, I, I like, I, I try to shoo the flies like in his general direction, right? Like I'm trying to like, you know, like push him over there. Like get a little <laughs> whoosh of air from my hand and kind of push the fly towards the web. And like, it's just, he's just, none of them are getting caught in his web. And I'm like, okay, whatever. He's whatever. Just give it time. Spiders are patient. I can be patient. That's fine. Like the next day I come back and I check nothing he hasn't caught anything and there's like even more flies the next day and i'm like what the fuck is going on this is like the worst spider i've ever seen he's like one job is catch flies literally a million flies right here he's caught zero fucking flies and i'm trying to like you know send him his way and like they're not catching getting caught in his web he's not grabbing anything he's not expanding the web's reach or anything he's just like hanging out right where i can see him and right where it's close to my head which makes me uncomfortable so I wait and I wait. And like, honestly, dude, after a couple days, I think the fucker was starving to death. I don't think he was catching any flies, any flies at all. And I'm like, what are you even here for? What are you even doing? So I'm like, all right, forget it. Fuck it. Forget it. Forget it. I grab the fucker in like a little plastic cup and I just throw him out. I'm like, forget it. We're done. This partnership didn't work. Fuck you. Fuck you, Mr. Spider. Fuck your fucking web. Fuck all this. So uh, my little experimentation into, into, you know, creating peace between our two kingdoms was a total failure. Um, he didn't catch a single fly that entire time. I don't know what the deal was. Maybe he had some kind of like weird non-sticky web or maybe the flies were too small for his web or I don't know what happened. But there was like all this food that was just going uneaten by him and it just like, it really, really boggled me how he could like be there for so much time surrounded by so much prey and not catch a single one. So whatever, never letting that go again. Never tolerating another spider. This is done. That was the one chance, that chance. Fucked up didn't plan out would you say that your partnership was not a fruitful one? Oh man yes <laughs> it was not a fruitful one good one good one yeah so all right fuck spiders fuck fruit flies i have a couple movies can i talk movies real quick to talk about you have my permission all right um one that i oh, so we watched three movies recently the one that we liked and we liked them all we liked them all but the one I liked the least probably was called 10,000 BC. Have you seen this one? I don't know what this is. It is a, as you might guess, a like kind of a caveman type story. My son really likes those for some reason. Uh, he, I guess he likes when people fight like prehistoric animals or something. And so <laughs> this one was done by Roland Emmerich, who was responsible for Independence Day and a lot of like the shitty Godzilla movie that came out with Matthew Broderick. Did he the, do The Day After Tomorrow with Jake Gyllenhaal? He sure did. That okay. was him. That was him. So this guy. Um, and I got to be honest, like it wasn't bad. Like, I don't think it did well at the box office, but it wasn't bad. It was a story of cavemen who hunt mammoths. Uh, get half of their tribe stolen by these more advanced cavemen who have, like, mastered horses. And they came and, like, took away all their tribes people 
and ran off. And so the more primitive cavemen want to get their tribes people back. So they go on this chase across like this continent. And along the way, they have all these like crazy, you know, caveman adventures. And this is like a totally serious movie, like not a comedy. It's like it's just like an action adventure survival type of film. Um, eventually, they catch up with those more advanced guys. But then those more advanced guys are actually working in service of even more advanced guys. And oh so it kind of shows. Yeah, I mean, so they, they get there and they, you know, stuff happens or whatever. And that's, I mean, the story itself was kind of epic. It's like traditional caveman crossing the great divide you know lots of fighting a couple guys die along the way and stuff but the thing that i thought was really interesting about this and despite the fact that it wasn't really like the best movie but there was a lot to like about it like number one tons of people of color in this movie which i thought was cool um the main caveman and the main female cave woman or prehistoric man or whatever you want to call them they they looked pretty anglo like i mean they weren't super anglo but they were pretty anglo but like the rest of the tribes people in his tribe pretty african-american looking and then when they got to other parts of the continent people who were just like straight up africans and then they got to like other parts where they were like i mean there was like barely any white people in the movie which i thought was cool because if you go back and read about you know historical uh theor theories about who was around at that time i mean most scientists i think agree that people were much darker back then especially when you're in the warmer climate so that makes sense i'm glad they didn't just have like ten thousand super anglo cavemen so that was nice um, also it was really interesting because there was a lot of educational opportunities because even though this was not a factual representation, like super fiction, 100% fiction, um, there was like lots of opportunities to like kind of homeschool my son. because like the, the, the very beginning tribe were like hunter gatherers and they subsisted off these mammoths and everything they had was made from like mammoth skin and mammoth bones. But then when they met these other tribes, it was like they were growing food and I'm like, Oh, look, these guys have mastered like, you know, the agrarian society. They've got like grains coming in and they have learn to stay in one place. They don't need to travel. So because they have a regular food source. And so we talked about like how that was like the next step in human evolution was like learning to grow your own food rather than just like finding it. And then like later on when they got to the super more advanced people who had like stone buildings and they were like constructing pyramids and stuff. And they were talking about, you know, like the different social order that they kind of implemented and how they were using like money and stuff that the other tribes didn't have. And so it showed like different levels of human evolution. And honestly, like I'm not a scholar or anything, but there's, a lot of thought that there were multiple tribes of different levels of advancement that were kind of coexisting at the same time. Maybe not as widely varied as what was shown in this movie, but like not all cavemen were equal back in the day and some died off because other guys had better weapons or other guys had more food because they could farm. And so like, it was interesting to see like the contrast of like where humans were back then and kind of just like super condensed into one film. So it was, it was interesting. I mean, it was fun. I watched it one time and I thought it was okay. I don't think I would ever watch it again, but I'm glad to watch it one time. And I think that just from kind of like the educational perspective, there was like a lot to pick up on. So that was pretty interesting. Um, does that sound like your jam at all, Corey? Um, not really. And I'm kind of surprised to hear that you enjoyed this. Cause I thought you were going to be like, Oh, it's really silly and it's not interesting. And I don't know, but I'm glad it was good. Always looking for a way to like sneak in some homeschooling and no better way to do it than to watch a movie or something. I know a lot of, a lot of parents are like, like anti screen time and oh, no TV for my kid and get them away from screens and stuff. But honestly, I feel like it's a really good way to learn. I mean, the best way to learn is by doing, but if you, you know, you can't do everything. I mean, you can't go and hunt a mammoth and just like learn from the experience. And you know, there's Not no with that attitude. You can't. I'm, <laughs> I know. Right. Jeez. I'm so negative. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Uh, but like, you know, there's a lot of things that you just can't do, or, or maybe you can't do as a kid, or maybe like you're just not in the right area of the world for that or whatever. 
Um, and so, like, watching TV is a great way to learn things as long as you have the proper context. You have an adult nearby that can answer questions. You can look up things that you don't understand. You can watch, you know, a high-quality show. And even on a show like this, like this 10,000 BC, which I don't think was really the highest quality, having somebody along who can point out parts that I think are actually really relevant or really good. So I'm a big supporter of um, guided television watching, guided movie watching, like having true parental supervision. So I, I'm a big supporter of that. I think you can learn a lot from watching screens. We're not anti-screens in our family, as I'm sure you could probably imagine. <laughs> it would be this podcast would not exist if you were anti-screen in your family, I believe. Oh, dude, seriously. 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 All right, next movie I watched, uh, liked a lot also. Very good movie. It's called Warm Bodies. Have you heard of this? Is this the stupid one with the guy that was in Mad Max who plays... Yes, yes, yeah, yes, this, yes. That movie sucked. I did not like it. I'm sorry. Oh, you didn't like that movie? No, I thought it was really cheesy and overdramatic and not well acted and not interesting. And I, Nicholas Holt, that's the guy's name, yeah, he plays yeah. the lead character, did not really, I mean, I know the movie's supposed to be like silly or whatever, but I just like couldn't really buy anything that was going on, even though that's a dumb thing to say considering the subject matter of the movie. But yeah, was not into it at all whenever I watched it. Oh, okay, so what did you think of it, honestly? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I really liked it a lot. I thought it was great. We were um, sitting on the couch, me and the wife and the son, and it was one of those days when the circles of our Venn diagram were not overlapping. We needed to, we had time to watch one thing, and like I wanted to watch something that was kind of action-y. I think the wife wanted to watch something that was like more romance, and I think the son wanted to watch something that was kind of horror and, like, every single thing that we were nominating, the other two people would shoot down. So, like, she'd say something, <laughs> and we'd be like, nah. And then he'd say something, and we'd be like, nah. And I'd say something, and, like, no one was going for it. And then I'm like, oh, wait, wait, I remember this movie. And this seems to have, it has romance, it has zombies, and there's, like, some action. Maybe this will do it for us. And it was. It was the exact center of the Venn diagram on that day. So it was a good pick. Um, and I really liked it a lot. It's uh, For those who don't know, it was a book. Very successful book when it came out at the time. I remember it being very well-reviewed and a lot of buzz about it. And then it got turned into a movie. So it's about a zombie apocalypse where some of the zombies are retaining some of their knowledge. And some of... They're not totally decomposed. Like, some of them are super decomposed and they're just, like, bony and gross. But some of them are, like, still fairly human-looking and they have memories. But they're not able to talk and they're not able to really communicate... So this one zombie um, comes across a girl who's on like a, a like a supplies party. Like these this group of humans goes into the like the remains of a town to gather some supplies. The zombie sees her, and it just like sparks something within him, and so it kind of reminds him of his humanity, and it reminds him that he used to be a person, and it kind of um, it starts reversing the zombie the zombie I don't know virus or whatever's going on with these guys. Like it starts changing him back. So rather than being a cold undead zombie, as the title suggests, his body starts to warm up and it becomes more and more human the more time that he spends around this girl. I'm not going to get into the whole story right here, but basically, like, it's about the zombie reclaiming his humanity and about developing a relationship with this person who would ordinarily be, like, his prey. Um, I thought it was cute. I thought it was really cute. I thought it was, um, you know, it was sappy in a way, but in a good way. Uh, I think that just overall, we just really liked it and it fit our mood exactly. Like it was the perfect movie to watch on that one day. So I can see how you wouldn't like it. But for us, I thought it was really great. It was zombie movie, but not too scary. It was romance, but not too romance. There was action, but it wasn't an action film. It was kind of in the middle, but in a good way, like in the best way. Uh, and I really liked it a lot. So I would recommend it. You would not recommend it, but I would recommend it. I thought it was pretty cute. 
and pretty good, so I liked it. Definitely liked it. Um, the last movie I want to bring up, Night of the Comet. Have you seen this? I have never heard of it. Night of the Comet. Okay, so just watched it like a couple hours ago today, fresh in my mind. I watched this movie. It's from 1984. I watched this movie a thousand times when I was a kid. Like it was on HBO or something, and it was on repeat all the time. So I watched it, and I haven't watched it in like 20, 25 years. And me and the kid were home today. He wasn't feeling good. He's kind of laying on the couch, and I'm like, okay, let's watch a movie. And I didn't want to watch anything that was too hardcore horror. And I wanted to expose them to like some of the classics. I'm like, oh man, Night of the Comet. I haven't seen that in a million years. The, the basic idea is that there's a comet in the universe that comes near Earth once every 65 million years. So if you do your math, the last time the comet came was when all the dinosaurs on Earth died out, right? So it's been gone for 65 million years. The orbit brings it back. It's now coming back to Earth and people are out celebrating like, oh, you know, it's a good excuse to get drunk. We're going to go watch the comet, whatever, whatever. And what happens is it vaporizes every single person on Earth who is not within a steel structure. So the, the star of the movie works at a movie theater and she is inside the projection booth, which is like a steel cage or something. So she's protected by from the rays. But like literally everybody else is just like red dust when she comes outside. And the only other people around are people who were like partially protected and these partially protected people become like these gross zombies or like halfway rotted because they didn't get the full dose of radiation, but they weren't saved either. So what happens is this girl and her sister, her sister also manages to be inside of a metal structure. They meet up the next day and like literally they're in Los Angeles. No one else at all is in LA. Like the entire city is like empty and they're like, oh my God, what's going on? What do we do? And it's just about them kind of going back in the city and like, just being stupid teenagers, just let loose in an entire town, like a major metropolitan area with no consequences, no responsibility. Like what would, you know, like what would teenagers do in Los Angeles if they had no limits? Like no one would say no, they didn't need money anymore. So they go like, you know, they get all these clothes and they get fancy cars and they shoot guns and they do all sorts of just whatever they want to do. Um, they meet up some, with some zombies after a while and then they meet a couple other survivors. And I'm not going to get into it here again. Uh, I think this is a great movie, but... This movie was absolutely wonderful. It was really wonderful. Um, it, it, it was happy because it held up to what I thought it was. Like, it, and I don't know if you have this experience, Corey, maybe, maybe when you get older, but you know, like you love things when you're a kid and like sometimes when you go back to them, they just really don't hold up, but it's kind of like disappointing. Like someone pops your balloon, like, oh, this thing that I thought was great ended up being really lame or just embarrassing or just not really as good. But this one, I honestly think it was even better than I remember with the amount of time that's passed since it was originally first shown, not only because I'm older now and I can appreciate other aspects of it, but also because of the context of our society now in 2019 compared to 1984. And I'll tell you what makes this movie special. So the two stars of the movie are two women uh, and neither one of them gets naked in the movie at all. No tits, no ass. <laughs> nobody gets naked. Number one. I was not expecting you to lead with that, by the way. <laughs> Literally, the I mean, that was the first thing my wife asked when I told her about it. And I'm like, no, no tits, no ass. Like, it's not a meat market. No one gets naked at all. There's one sex scene, but, like, nothing is shown. Like, it's just, like, two people inside of a sleeping bag, and all you can see is their heads, and it's not even, no one's moaning or anything. Like, it's very chaste, right? So, like, on top of that, these two girls, in the, in the story, their dad is, like, a special forces guy, and he's not around. I think he, he gets killed or something. But, like... The, he taught them both to defend themselves. And so whenever they get cornered by zombies or by these other people who want to fuck with them, they handle their shit. Like both of them can kick ass. And it's not like they're 
tough, beefy bodybuilders. They just have, you know, taken self-defense courses. They're very confident about themselves. They know how to shoot guns and they're not shy about it. Like they're very comfortable with firearms, but they're not like, you know, bullet sexuals or whatever, or ammo sexuals as the term is these days. Um, so they're just very strong, confident women who get out in the city. The film totally passes like the Bechdel test where there's multiple scenes where they're talking about not a man and they're just like living their life in the city and just figuring out what to do. Um, and later on when a guy does show up, like, you know, it's not, they don't rely on him to like get them through anything. Like they both are just really tough and good. And so for that to be the case in 1984, two strong leading women, neither one gets naked, pretty unheard of in 1984. And on top of that, one of the survivors they meet is a Hispanic guy who you might know later on got a role in Star Trek. I don't know what series, but I think his character was called like Chakotay or something like that. Yeah, Chicote from uh, um, Deep Space Nine. No, no, that's not it right. wasn't Deep Space Nine. It was Voyager. Uh, Voyager, yeah. So that guy, he's the he's the guy. He's the one of the survivors in that movie. If you know that guy, Robert Beltran. Yeah, it that's it. So he's a Hispanic character, and like no racist shit happens in the movie. Like they don't make any burrito jokes. They don't call him a spick. Like nothing happens. I was like, oh my god, this is like so forward thinking and so. Like, like appropriate and respectful. Uh, and the way that he was treated, like, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that none of this stuff is happening. Like the usual, like when you go back to watch movies from the eighties, dude, so many of those are so cringeworthy and so embarrassing. Um, the only thing that happened that I will say is at one point, uh, they do use the word fag, which is always like pretty cringeworthy. Sometimes when I watched Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, um, a couple months ago, it was like it was like getting slapped in the face when they said it. Like it was really unpleasant and like not cool. But in this movie, the two girls are talking, and one of them is asking if she like did it with the guy, and she's like, "No, we just talked." And she's like, "Oh, do you think he's like a fag or something?" Like, and not to say that it's okay, but it like the tone in which that she said it was, it was she was just asking if he was gay, right? Like it wasn't like a put down, and it wasn't like she was. I mean, I, okay, like I'm not trying to make excuses. I know that's not okay to say that and stuff, but I'm just trying to say that like their handling of it did not feel offensive to me, even though they used an offensive term, which was not offensive back then. You know what, you know what I'm saying? Am I making sense? You're making sense. I mean, I think, um, like, I, I would perhaps argue... I mean, I know exactly what you mean, because it's this is, like, the same thing that, like, sort of, like, old, like, male comedians are dealing with right now, where, like, 20 years ago, they could say, like, really stupid, like, racist sure. jokes, and now they sure. can't, and they're like, oh my god, oh, society. So I get it, but, um, yeah, like, it wasn't used in a way to, like, bully someone in the movie. Exactly, like, yeah. I'm not excusing it, not saying it's okay, but I appreciated that it was just a poor dialogue choice and not a put down or like a, a slander or something like that. So anyway, just to be clear, not excusing it, but I appreciated that I could, you know, I, I noticed the difference in how the tone of it was. And it was very like in general, the movie is very respectful of women, very respectful of this guy who was a Hispanic character. I thought he was really well treated. Um, and it was just like really shocking and surprising to see a movie that really stood up in that way and was still a great movie. So I, I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. I think it was better than I remember would absolutely recommend it to anybody. Just, you know, just, just, you know, know that the word fag is going to come up and just brace yourself. And, uh, but, but hopefully you can see the other parts that are good about it. Um, I didn't realize it had become quite the cult hit that it is today, but I guess 
Joss Whedon, um, who's had some trouble of his own these days, uh, said that this movie was actually one of the inspirations for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Like how strong these girls were was one thing that spurred him to create that character on his own. So I think that's an interesting tidbit. And uh, I guess a lot of people really like this. Um, it's been picked as one of the top uh, apocalypse movies uh, for, on several different lists that I saw when I was Googling. So it does have some fans. Um, check it out if you've never seen it. It's right now it's streaming for free on Amazon Prime, and I believe Amazon has the rights to it. I was not able to find it on the other downloading services. So you may have to go to Amazon. If you got Prime, it's free. If not, I think it's like $2.99 or $3.99 or something like that. But I loved it. I'm so glad that it was so good, and I'm glad that it in general, really held up, and it wasn't embarrassing to watch, which, again, I mean, like, you watch Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, ooh, some cringeworthy stuff. Adventures in Babysitting, super cringeworthy stuff. <laughs> uh, even, like, Home Alone, oh, man, there was some there was some bad stuff in Home Alone. Uh, you go back to some of those movies, you gotta be careful, but this was one that I thought really did well for itself. Well, good. This actually, I now that you were describing it, I remember seeing you tweet about it earlier today, and whenever you had tweeted about it, you said that it was like quintessential eighties with like lots of neon and stuff. And I like, like my like ears perked up a little bit. Um, and hearing you talk about it on the show now, um, I can't promise I'll like, you know, go watch it immediately, but it does sound like something that I would enjoy. So maybe, um, if I'm feeling lonely one night at home with nothing to do, I'll just boot up Amazon and put it on and see what it's like. I will say for you specifically, the colors are amazing in this film. I really like the colors. I really took note of the colors. It is super 80s. So like everybody's got big hair. Everybody's wearing like shoulder pads and like the, the clothing <laughs> that was of the time, leg warmers and stuff. But like there's also like tons of neon. There's like lots of like red and pink and blue. And they, they color code like the characters like kind of subtly. Um, I really like the way the movie looked a lot. Like I think just visually it was really interesting, especially for the budget i think the whole movie was made for less than one million dollars um which you know was not a lot of money in general and at that time i don't think that was anywhere near being a big budget movie uh so i think they did a great job for less than one million and i think it's very stylistic uh it's got a great ending i think uh it's just really fun to watch and i think it's it's interesting to watch too just visually as well so a lot to recommend this one i was really really pleased well good it does sound um i i hadn't heard of it before but it definitely sounds like something that maybe i should keep an eye on well, there you go. There you go. Uh, check it out. Let me know what you think uh, if you watch it. But uh, that's all I got, man. That's all I got. You got anything? Um, I have exhausted my banter, so I have nothing left for the show. All right. I say we should talk about some games then. Let's do it. Let's do it.